Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. with another episode of the Made for TV Mayhem Show. I'm super excited for a couple different reasons about tonight's episode. My name again is Amanda. Um, One, we have a special uh, guest with us that I'll introduce in a second, and I'm super excited about it because he, I think, is maybe not as passionate as I am about tonight's topic, but I think he is pretty passionate about it, so it'll be fun for us. Secondly, um, our topic is Shannon Doherty, and um, I've been wanting to cover her movies for a long time. If you remember our Tori Spelling episode where we uh, covered um, Coed Call Girl and uh, Death of a Cheerleader, I talked about doing a Shannon episode, and I kind of drug my feet on it, partially because it was difficult for me to figure out which two episodes or which two TV movies I wanted to talk about because I'd already written about my two favorites in the book and I wanted to go somewhere different and also just because I see shiny objects and I kind of forget what I'm doing. So tonight we're going to talk about two kind of late entry Shannon movies that I think are really worthwhile. One is Saint School for Girls which is the remake of the 1973 ABC movie The Week. Both were produced by Aaron Spelling. Um, they're quite different and we'll talk about that. And the second one was a first time viewing for me and I believe a first time viewing for everybody tonight and that is a movie called Another Day which was a USA um, network original and a really interesting film and I'm really excited to talk about it so anyway let me go ahead and introduce my regular co-host I'm here with Dan hey Dan what's up uh, not much I'm excited to uh, talk some Shandordi it's my, my first uh, time watching any of her TV movies so oh, it should wow. be fun I, and I hope you all are well on your end there so and um, yeah. forgive please forgive any uh, audio uh, problems on mine my wife and I have been working from home for so long we've worn the Wi-Fi down to a nub <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just barely, I'm barely squeaking through here. So I apologize. Oh man, yeah. So if anybody's listening to this way off in the future, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and um, we all are kind of stuck in our houses. And the internet and Zoom and Skype and all these things have become really important to us. And because of that, it's made things like internet use really intense uh, for some households. Um, and I'm also here with my good friend Nate. Hey Nate, what's up? Not much. Not much at all for me either. Um, just been, you know, hanging out at my house. Well, so is it early enough in the day that I've caught you in your bat pajamas? Um, I'm actually, oh, no, I, I shouldn't say this, but do you got, I'm wearing pajamas that say, uh, that have Corona beers on them. Oh. <gasps> Oh. So, and it, it's Bad not, taste. it's just coincidence. It's totally <laughs> tempting. I didn't think because I was going to say, oh, no, I'm wearing these. But then I looked down and saw the bottle say Corona, and I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't sound good. No. Did you know for a long time, 30% of Americans thought the coronavirus came from Corona beer? Yes, I'd heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are not a bright country right now. No, not really. Did those pajamas come with like a case of Corona? No, I. Uh, Honestly, don't even remember where I got them. They're just very, very comfortable. (laughs) 
Well, as Corona beer has been known to be, it's kind of a comfort beer. And also, you probably heard a beautiful accent there in the background, and that is our special guest. And I know I'm going to, I've never said your last name out loud, so it's Eric Threlfall. Did I say that's, that right? Threlfall? That's pretty okay. good, Threlfall. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yay, okay, and so a lot of you probably recognize his voice because I know I get a lot of listeners from the Hysteria Continues, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Eric. Um, I'm quite fat, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like chocolate. I'm a big fan of 90210, uh, Beverly Hills 90210, which is why I assume I've been invited on the podcast today. Um, But uh, like Dan, this was my first time watching any of Shannon Doherty's TV movies. I'd never seen one before. I'd watched the Tory Spelling ones after you covered them the last time, and I thought they were brilliant. Um, so you asked you asked me a couple of months ago if I was interested in at some point doing a Shannon Doherty episode. So I started watching a few, and I think I've watched one, two, three, four, five. I've watched five plus the two we're going to cover, so that's seven in total. And I don't think there were any duds amongst them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my understanding. I went and revisited some, and we'll talk about a couple of those, and because um, you saw them too, and then I watched some ones that were brand new to me. And I have to tell you, this is the best week of the pandemic yet, because. <laughs> It was so nice to just have it on in the background while I was working and to watch a couple sitting down. She has not made a bad movie. There is one movie she made fairly recently. um, And when I say recently, I mean within the last 10 years called Encounter to Danger, I think is the name of it. And um, it's like an hour of movie and half an hour of her driving. (laughs) <laughs> and that's the only one that I'm not super into yet. I still have a copy of it because I love all of her movies. But um, yes, I have you here because you are such a big 90210 fan. And I know we send each other little gifts of uh, Dave Silver yes. um, dancing and things like that. And um, and we talk a lot about Luke Perry and stuff that's happened on the show. Color Me Bad has come up, I'm sure. Oh, I love Color Me Bad, yes. <laughs> and so I thought that you would be the perfect guest for this because this episode is meant to be like... It's fine if um, somebody here doesn't like one of the movies. I'm okay with that. But it's really here to embrace this kind of uh, this side of her career that I don't think it's talked about a lot. And that's unfortunate because I think that there's so much strength in um, her performances and in this part of her career, which makes up a chunk of her her filmography. Yet it kind of gets sort of pushed aside. Um, and that's unfortunate. So before we get started, I'm just going to tell you a little teeny bit about just her background. And that's just like how, because she's been famous almost her entire life. But I was interested to see that she was born in Memphis, Tennessee. And she actually moved to L.A. when she was pretty young because of her dad. Because he, I think he ran a trucking company and um, they opened an office in L.A. and he went out there. And they were, I think, I can't remember what religion um, her parents come from, but they went to church a lot. And so her first role was in a church production of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And she really loved it. And from there, I think she started um, auditioning for things. And in 1981, when she would have been about 10, I think, she got a part on an um, episode of Father Murphy, which um, some Americans might remember. I don't think, Eric, do you know Father Murphy? I don't know. Yeah, I only vaguely remember it. I feel like it's a spinoff of Little House on the Prairie. And that was really interesting because Michael Landon saw her on Father Murphy. And he brought her on to uh, the later episodes of Little House where she was nominated for awards. And um, I think this is here where we started to see Shannon form into the Shannon that we see today. And when I say that, it's that... So I spent the last week really immersed in her life. I watched several interviews with her. I watched her any biography which I have a lot of mixed feelings about but one of the things that the talking had said about her was that Michael Landon told her when she was very young that it was important for her to stand up for herself um, and her work and so really early on in her career she started sort of asserting herself to great success and so Shannon is thought of in a lot of different ways and in this biography I think they 
were trying to present it as both a strong person and a person who was really pushy. And it was hard to tell which one they were trying to reconcile with. And maybe it's both. I don't know. But we all know she had a very tumultuous sort of late teens, early 20s period. And we may talk about that a little, but I don't think that's as important as her work. But obviously, um, she would go on from Little House to do another show called Our House with um, Wilford Brimley. And that was a huge hit, and she was on it for a couple years. And she did have others, of course, and then she did 90210. I think she did others before 90210. And, of course, 90210 set her into the stratosphere of stardom. That was an Aaron Spelling TV series. It ran a number of years. She's only in the first four seasons. And it got a lot of criticism, including this a biography, of which I have very mixed feelings about, because the TV historian on there called the show corny, and he really kind of downplayed Aaron Spelling's contribution in general to television, which really upset me. Koreans aren't supposed to do that. And also, he's amazing, Aaron Spelling. So, but, um, but it was an important show. It was sort of at the tail end of when television, like the after-school special sort of approach to TV, where every episode kind of had a message to it. And they did it in, I think, really good ways. It's very comfortable viewing now, but there was also a lot of realism in it, I think, for me, because of Shannon. But it's probably better that I turn this over to Eric, because I know he's such a huge fan. Just tell me a little bit about why you love 90210 and um, some of your favorite things about Shannon's character and anybody else on the show you want to talk about, because I know you love David Silver. So I'm a big fan Get of David Silver, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, for, for me, for David with David Silver, it's all about the singing and dancing, which I thought was... Um, in equal parts, very brave of the actor, Brian Austin Green, and also very, very cheesy. I mean, he sings a song called, do you remember the song Precious that he's singing in the studio at one stage when he's about to take off as a hip hop artist? That's one of my favorite episodes. I don't know. I mean, Beverly Hills 90210 seems implausible to me growing up in, uh, I suppose you could say, small town Ireland. It was a completely alien world, but I loved it. Um, and as you were saying at the start, those first four seasons, uh, yeah, the, the first three, they're in high school. And then in season four, it's their first year of, of what we would call university or college, I think you call it. Uh, and they were great because I think it was kind of separate. It was almost like separate storylines every week, and the, it wasn't as soap opera-y, because at the start of season five, they bring in the character of Valerie, and suddenly it all becomes about sleeping with everyone and backstabbing and all this t- and business deals, and it just lost its um, fun, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I loved that, um, the, you know, you have uh, Brenda and Brandon as the, the kind of fish out of water in Los Angeles. I suppose they're... I, I, you grew up in Los Angeles, did you, um, Amanda? I grew up... I grew up in Las Vegas, but I lived in Los Angeles um, yeah. in the '90s, so, a little after mm. Shannon left the series. So, who was your? Um, uh, who did you identify? Did you identify with Shannon then, as you were saying? Is it because she, I suppose Brenda and Brandon were our, um, you know, our eyes? I suppose because they were the 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 country bumpkins coming to LA. Yeah, yeah, well, that's really interesting because so when they rebooted the show for the CW a few years ago, um, Shannon Doherty wasn't going to come back. And then she said, well, you know, um, somebody started sending me petitions that fans wanted me to come on. And she said, you know, I have a really good life and I have it because of my fans, because they've always supported me. And I couldn't think of any other way to thank them except to come back. But I have to say that Brenda 
was a really emotional character and it was difficult to play her sometimes because it was so full of emotion. And I thought that was interesting because one of the things that I loved about Brenda was that she was so emotional and she was the most realistic teenager on the show for me because like, so there was, there was a love arc or not love arc, a love triangle between her and Kelly and um, Dylan. And when Dylan and Kelly kind of, um, separated off and became a couple like one week Shannon would be really good friends with Kelly and the next week there would be like some problems and it went like that for a while Mm. and that's very realistic because kids go back and forth on how they feel about things all the time because they're learning about life for the first time and it is a very emotional thing everything you do is for the first time and when it's the first time it's like it's got this huge impact on you and so the way whether it was intentional or not the way Brenda was portrayed and the way Shannon played it was um, very realistic to me. And so I always really felt connected to her. Also, when I was her, we were the same age, but when I was, um, when that show was on, those four, first four seasons, people would actually tell me I look like Shannon Doherty, and I loved it. I'm not going to lie, because she's beautiful. And I just loved being associated with her, even though at that time the tides were turning against her in the pop culture world. It was really amazing to, to just have any kind of association with her, because I just adored her. But my favorite um, Shannon episodes from 90210 would would possibly not have been the, the Dylan-y ones. I, I love the fact that uh, she's the first to pick up on that something's amiss with Emily Valentine. Um, she was very mm. much a, a clued-in character. So it was those kind of episodes I loved. Uh, there's a great... Do you remember that sort of comedy episode where she falls asleep on the beach and gets burnt to a crisp? <laughs> thought that was kind oh, of fun. No. <laughs> I have a vague memory that I, I was just going to say, what do you feel about Lavoine? Lavoine, oh yes, where she has to work in the peach pit. Oh yeah, that's a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> I always think about that one because she wanted to, the character wants to be an actress, which she goes on to do. So when they did the reboot, which I don't know if you watched, did you watch it? Yes, Eric? I did. Yeah, the, the one from last yeah. year. Yeah. No, no, the one that the original one from the CW where it was actually take off of the actual characters. Yeah, that's later. the one. From la- yeah, that's the one from last year. The the, no, the one- no, 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 no. No, this is the older one from like two thousand eight. Oh no! The, the, oh right, yeah. No, I didn't see that where one. The, where the where she was Brenda, not Shannon, and um, okay, and she um, and she came and she was a she became like a famous actress in London or something, ah. and and she flew back in to, to direct the school play, and so she was in like four or five episodes of the series because of that. No, the 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 new nine hundred two one zero. I guess it was called BH nine hundred two one zero. Um, was sort of a meta comedy that was really brilliant that Tori Spelling put together mm. where Shannon totally subverts the idea we have of her into like this really amazing and it would be too hard to go into now but like uh, known as being like the spoiled brat and the bad girl of the 90s and on the show she's very zen and like sweet and like uh you know she's which is she is in real life she's always saving animals and things like that and they have her like in the himalayas like meditating and stuff and it's hilarious the way they play up her image but that was a really brilliant um sort of re ducks of the show i guess mm-hmm. if that's i don't know what to call it yeah i mean i wasn't i was kind of iffy on the first episode but then as it went on i, I just fell in love with it i thought it was brilliant uh, i thought it was a real shame that it didn't uh, it's not going to survive a second season so yeah i was too i was really bummed and um and so anyway so so that's where shannon kind of took off and then you know her personal life kind of um came to the forefront and her acting sort of unfortunately fell into the background but then she went to charmed i mean she's done a crap load of stuff over the years she's consistently worked uh, so whatever problems 
we perceived that she had, whether she had them or not, she was able to get past it and eke out a really good career for herself. So just real briefly, Eric, tell me a couple of the TV movies that you watched that aren't the ones we're talking about. Okay, well, I, I watched the two that you reviewed in your book, um, Are You in the House Alone? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yes. yes. Plug, plug, plug. Still available on Amazon. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. An ideal to read during these pandemic times to pass the time. Um, yes, yeah, so I watched Obsessed, which I hadn't seen before, um, which was awesome. It's Fatal Attraction done, I suppose, TV movie style with um, Shannon Doherty as Glenn Close and Greg Sumner from Knott's Landing as Michael yes. Douglas. Um, it's great as she, she falls in love with this older man. She, she works in a marina in some capacity. I couldn't quite figure out what she does. She's in admin. Um, so she's sort of obsessed with all these rich businessmen who have yachts in the marina and she targets um, Greg Sum- Well, his name is William Devan. Is his is his surname or Devane? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, that was terrific. And uh, the uh, the ones the TV movies I kind of like, particularly with Shannon Doherty's, is ones that could almost you could almost see them being um, plot lines in 90210. You know, I wouldn't say Brenda would be like this, but maybe like Emily Valentine or Sue Scanlon could obviously be the obsessed in in the series. First, she wanted her family. Then, she stole her lover. Now. She's taking over her entire life. Don't tell me you're scared of girls. 90210 Shannon Doherty and Jennifer Blanc in a world premiere thriller. You just name the time and place. Friends Till the End, NBC Monday. Um, another one I watched was Friends Till the End, which is the other one you reviewed in the uh, in the yearbook, um, which I hadn't seen. Uh, Jennifer Blanc plays this, uh, she's a, what you call them? The, the kids who are... are in, in oh it's like a it's like a talent show yeah she's, I don't know what you call and that, she has a very like, she has a very like, pushy stage mom who is who has yeah. made her into this kind of psychotic young adult by the time we you know we we're in the present day uh and she's she, it's single white female basically she's trying to replace um uh Shannon Doherty's character in it by taking over as the lead vocal in their indie guitar style band where where neither of them are terribly good at singing I don't want to you know, point, you know, focus on the negatives, but I just thought it was kind of funny that the singing was quite bad in it, although the music is good. But, um, that was terrific. It's, it's a, it's quite, um, tense. And, and I love, as I said, it, it feels like it could be a 90210 episode. You could have this Jennifer Blanc character, um, you know, dropped into the 90210 plot and then over the course of maybe five or six episodes have this plot line going on and and I think that that film is the one where Shannon feels most like Brenda that I thought because she's kind of you know mm. feisty and confident and she's trying to do good by helping the Jennifer Blanc character at the start but then it kind of backfires on her as, as you know her psychotic nature is revealed I thought it was brilliant and had a, a really satisfying ending um, I was just really impressed with those two because I watched those two first and uh, I thought, God, these movies are amazing. Um, <laughs> but um, the for me, the best, it's not the best film I watched, but it had the best ending, was one called Almost Dead from 1994. Have you seen that one, anyone? Yeah, I have, but I haven't seen it since like 1998 or something. Yeah. I have it on VHS. And all I remember about it now is the broom at the end. <laughs> it's a shovel. I think talk- it's a shovel. Yeah. Oh, shovel! That's yeah. it. And you, but you were talking about the last ten minutes are really wackadoodle, and the I don't wackadoodle. remember them at all. Yeah, it's a the film plays like a giallo. If, if you've ever seen films like Footprints on the Moon or Autopsy or Perfume of the Lady in Black, it's those kind of Italian thrillers that 
where you're certain for the first 75 minutes that, okay, this has to have a supernatural explanation. There's no way they can logically explain what's going on in this film uh, where there's sort of ghostly supernatural things appear to be happening. And that's exactly what happens in Almost Dead. And then it pulls this big Scooby-Doo ending uh, at the end. I won't ruin it for anyone, but it has a happy birthday to me style denouement Mm. that... uh, (laughs) that I thought was utterly brilliant. Now, the build-up to it uh, is not as entertaining as Obsessed or Friends Till the End, but just for those final 10 minutes, it's well worth watching. Um, Now, all of these films I've watched are on YouTube, and most of them are in pretty good uh, nick, so they're perfectly watchable, except for maybe Freeze Frame, which was... Yeah. Uh, now, some sources are saying that's 1992, but Shannon's character in it says, "Dad, it's almost the 90s. You've got to do. You've got to, you know, start getting out there and dating or something." So, I'm guessing it was probably made in 89. This- yeah, she by 92 she had darker hair. I think her yeah. hair was like redder in this. And she does she look she younger. Looks, she does look a lot younger, and she plays a kind of super sleuth trying to. Uh, she's a wannabe journalist who has uncovered some kind of I don't know corrupt politician land deal it was kind of hard to follow the plot because the sound on the print was quite muffled um but i got the gist of what was going on it looked like it was very it's aimed at kind of a younger audience i'd say yeah than the, all the yeah, other stuff i loved it mm. i loved it it was like a disney movie it was just it just nothing bad's gonna happen to anybody no it's exactly just a little adventure yeah. i really enjoyed it <laughs> um and the other one i watched was blindfold now if i watched that oh. maybe a month ago so i can't really remember a lot about it except that it was super saucy and it was kind of um in the mold of basic instinct and all those uh quote erotic thrillers now it's not that racy to be honest but I, um, you do get to see Shannon Topless in it which was I, this is 1994 or 95 I think this was so yeah um, it was quite good and it has a, a you know a, you know a, a big twist ending that but uh, I suppose of the five I watched uh, that I've just mentioned it was my least favorite uh, my mo- my the fa- my favorite one was probably friends till the end uh, followed by obsessed and almost dead and then blindfold last but still well worth watching I mean I didn't really watch a lot of TV movies growing up uh, occasionally I watched the occasional one I mean some of them were released theatrically over here like um, mm, yeah um, what's the one with Lee Majors and the the plane that goes into space? Oh, that's Starflight, the plane that couldn't land. Yes, yeah. that opened theatrically over here, and I just never knew it was a TV movie until about twenty years later. Um, uh, but like these Shannon Doherty ones, I never watched at the time, and I regret it now because they're so enjoyable. I'm notorious for picking up my iPhone during the movie if if, if if my interest lulls even for a split second and I start playing a game or something. Uh, but with these ones, I was just glued to the screen uh, and was really entertained. So that's a recommendation. Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, I watched Obsessed and Friends till the end again, and I watched Freeze Frame. Um, Obsessed, I can't. I I have three copies of Obsessed here. I was looking for my copy of it, and I found three of them. So I obviously <laughs> love this movie. Um, you do. I wanted. I needed my backup there just in case something happens to my disc. Um, and then I went ahead and I watched some of her like kind of romantic comedies. Um, she did a movie for Hallmark called uh, Growing the Big One, which is about. Ooh, that sounds a bit rude. <laughs> I, know. I know it sounds. That's why I wanted to see when he read yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, "What is this?" But it's actually about a woman who works at a, like a Seattle radio station, and her grandfather dies, and she inherits his sort of farm, and um, she goes to take care of it because it's in all this debt, and she doesn't want to lose it, and so. 
um, she finds out that the big thing they do every year in this little town that her grandfather lived in is that they grow pumpkins. And whoever grows the biggest pumpkin gets a certain amount of money, and that's the exact amount of money or whatever she needs to pay off the mortgage on her farm. So um, this guy comes to help her grow the big one, and they end up falling in love. And it's really sweet, and it's fun, and she's adorable in it. And she did another kind of cute movie called Christmas Caper, which is a movie where she's a cat burglar, and um, her partner kind of like sends her up the river and um, she gets caught, not caught, she almost gets caught, but she gets identified. And so she leaves the town and the only place she can think of to go is her sisters who needs a babysitter for her two kids. And then hilarity ensues, you know what I mean? And it's really cute. And these are just little films that make you feel good when they're finished. And that's, it was so good to watch them this week because I really kind of needed that feel good vibe because it's so much has not felt good. And it, I'm so glad she made them, they're terrific. The other one I watched is one of my all-time favorite Shannon Doherty movies. It's called Sleeping with the Devil, which is a true story about a woman who marries this guy. Um, well, I don't think they get married. She meets this guy, and she's had this kind of really crazy life before they met. And he gives her some stability, you think, and it turns out he's really abusive. And she wants to leave him, but he's having none of it. So he hires somebody to kill her. And she gets shot in the back four times. This is a true story. And she's paralyzed from the chest down afterwards. And it's the story of how she kind of gets justice. And it's so amazing. And she's so good in it. And it used to come on Lifetime all the time. And I watched it incessantly in like the late 90s and um i have it taped on vhs and i just love it so anyway i rewatched that and then some of the ones that you mentioned it was so great one of our listeners her name is shannon we know her on twitter as resting willpower she actually reached out to somebody yay. who knew yay who knew shannon doherty and asked him to speak a little bit about her so his name is james colin bressack he um he worked with shannon as a director and a producer and he told this story for us to share so filming blood lake with shannon doherty was a blast for me. Um, I, it was my first time working with Shannon. I've worked with her about six times now, and I mean, I have pretty funny stories from every set, but actually my funniest story isn't from the Blood Lake set. It's from the set of How to Make a Deal with the Devil, because on that one I was producing, not directing, so I had more time on my hands, and Shannon and I were rewriting the dialogue to make it like a little funnier, and I, I, we were doing overnights and I was getting really, really tired. And Shannon kept taking, she had like this, this outfit with feathers on it. She kept taking a feather and like poking it in my nose when I would start to fall asleep and I'd go like this. And uh, it, it's just, it was just hilarious. Um, she, her and I have been really good friends ever since Blood Lake. And she's super easy to work with and the biggest sweetheart. Um, and she's like a little jokester. Uh, I love Shannon. She's amazing. Mm, I don't I really remember. I don't remember her in Blood ahead. Lake. Yeah, that's a different Blood Lake. Oh, sorry, <laughs> silly me. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, well, not the little Tony. That. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, she she had been little Tony though. She would have been amazing. <laughs> oh, she, yeah, she could have yes. done it. <laughs> but I love I love that because because one of the things we've been talking about is how she had kind of this tumultuous history with some of her productions. But I mean, obviously, people. I've really enjoyed working with her too. And I really love that this person took the time out to tell us a little bit about how much fun she was to hang out with on the set and stuff. Now I have not seen any of her sci-fi stuff. Have you I, guys, I guess you haven't seen too many. You both all had said, or sorry, three of you had said you hadn't really seen any of her other movies. Cause, but she has done stuff for the sci-fi channel. All right. And um, haven't and seen it, them. Hmm. Yeah. Quite a bit. And I haven't, I haven't unfortunately seen any of it, but I'm going to dip into it now that I have a little 
teaser as to what we can expect. So thank you, James, for uh, sharing that moment with us. I really appreciate it. She's very specific about her scripts, which I love, and I kind of hope we all love these next two films. So we should get into them because I know Dan and Nate want to chime in, and I, I don't want to take up all the conversation. So, Dan, do you want to start with Saint School for Girls? Monday to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. It's just another suicide to them. She goes back to school. We're happy you're here. What she discovers there. She's the one. Is more terrifying than anything she ever imagined. They're tied to the dark side. Shannon Doherty, Kate Jackson, Satan School for Girls, ABC Monday, 8, 7 Central. I'm going to do this very briefly so we can get back to our chat. St. School for Girls takes place at the Fallbridge College for Girls, uh, where a young woman named uh, Jenny, Jenny Hammersmith, has recently apparently committed suicide. Uh, The last anyone saw of her, she was being chased off campus by a goth girl. And, you know, uh, the goth girl is trying to help her by the way. Um, But she's last seen with this goth girl chasing her off campus. And then she's found later dead. Her sister, Shannon Doherty, uh, is uh, Beth. And Beth doesn't believe that her sister committed suicide. She was very close to her sister. And she um, kind of rigs a false identity. Karen Oxford. And I got lost in some of the names there. I might just call her Shannon. First Jenny suicide. Now it says Melanie Hernandez died of a heart attack. How many 20-year-olds do that? Did you tell the cops about this? Yeah, they don't care. You should have seen her at the funeral. She didn't want anybody from Fallbridge College to know that she was there, and she was really freaked out about this group called The Five. Who are they? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Did you get the IDs? Yeah. You're in way over your head. This is something the police should be dealing with. I told you they don't care. They closed Jenny's file. It's just another suicide to them. Beth, I know what you must be going through. Reuben, listen. Jenny flew here all the way from Boston. She said that something was going on at Fallbridge that she needed to tell me in person. Now, why would she kill herself before we even talked? I owe it to her. You owe it to her to go on with your life. That's what she would want. She would want me to find out the truth. Thanks for the IDs. Karen enrolls in the Fallbridge College for Girls, meets the dean, played by Kate Jackson, and meets, uh, she has a very nice roommate who has a name. I've forgotten what the name was. She meets some other people on the floor in the dorm. One of them is named Paige. They're all very nice to her. She's hanging out, and she's kind of making all the friends and investigate, trying to investigate um, what happened with her sister. Along the way, she meets a kind of sleazy professor, who is having an affair with one of the students. Uh, she meets a hunky guy who works part-time in admissions, and she tries to sort of ingratiate herself. Well, she tries to meet the sort of goth community, but surprise, they're not very nice. And so she's trying to do this investigation, and she keeps coming across references to The Five, and no one will quite tell her what the five is. Eventually, she sort of learns that the five are this almost mythical um, group of five students who on, on this campus who um, uh, basically make a pact with Satan and have all sorts of powers like uh, shape-shifting, teleporting, a little bi-locating here and there. And they become very powerful women in the world because they've more or less sold themselves to Satan. The more she investigates... The more strange things happen, the more people begin to die, and the more, well, you know what, you know, I'll just kind of say, um, ask the questions, does the five really exist? Will Beth slash Karen find out who the five are? 
and and precisely who are the five? Are they those goth girls? Will there be a twist? And are the five after Beth for some reason? And did it have something to do with her sister? I'll leave it at that. That's a pretty good summation of the film, Dan. Thank you. Um, so I think, oh, am I the only one who has seen this movie more than once? Have any of you ever seen it before? I hadn't seen it before, no. but I did watch it twice in the last two weeks or so. Ooh, okay. So why don't we go around and just get a general consensus of what you thought of the film, and then we'll start to talk about the ins and outs of it. So um, I love it. I've seen it several times. I watched it not when it originally aired, but pretty soon after. I think it went over. It started on ABC. It aired on ABC. I think it went over to ABC Family, maybe, or one of those uh, basic cable channels afterwards, and I, I caught it there, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but I'll tell you, I remembered it. I don't know if anybody here saw the remake of The Initiation of Sarah, but that's a very tongue-in-cheek remake. And because it's been so long since I'd seen Saints School for Girls, I remembered it being campier, which it's not. It's very straightforward, which I really appreciated upon this viewing. I kept waiting for the camp to hit, and I was like, this is very kind of played very straight, um, and I'm really into it. So uh, I really enjoyed it this go round. Um, Dan, what did you think of it? I, I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Um, I I now I haven't seen the original in ages, mm. but uh, and I didn't get a chance to watch it again for this. But I, I remember enjoying the original more. I thought I yeah. thought this, this remake. I'm not a huge remake guy. I I love ripoffs, but I'm not a big fan of remakes. And I, I thought this was this was okay. I, I enjoyed watching it. I did watch it a second time just for extra notes and stuff. It's it to me. It's a little of that. It's like like around that time period, I found horror a little bland. Yeah, and it's a little bland to me. Um, th- there are there are moments in it like and and I won't say what happens, but sort of like the climax of mm-hmm. the film. I thought would be this big grand thing, and it's a little. Underplayed is quite the, quite the word, but it's just a little underdone, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, it never quite takes off for me. But there's certainly some good moments. I think Shannon Doherty's very good in it. Uh, everyone else is is fine in it. Um, but it, it's it's not um, it's not one I'd highly recommend. But if you like Satan School for Girls and you like this kind of genre, it's it's a good it's a good entry in the um, satanic uh, evil gals on a campus kind of movie. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you said something in there and I can't remember exactly what the words were, but, uh, it reminds me of something Eric said recently on maybe it was the top three TV movies, not TV movies, top three horror movies of 1986 or something. One of your Patreon episodes where you do the top threes, Mm -hmm. you were talking about, um, I think you called it safe horror and that the older you got, you kind of found yourself gravitating towards those. I think I was talking about a house. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Ooh, and yeah. I, that that struck me because I feel like I'm the same way. Because um, you guys are talking about Henry Portrait of Serial Killer too, and and that's obviously not safe horror. And that's a you can appreciate it as a great film, but it's not something you sit down and watch every weekend. And um, and I, I was going to do a thing at the beginning about safe horror because that's kind of what TV movies are doing in general. And I maybe that's why I love them so much. But that was something that we might want to talk about later as we go along. But Eric, what did you think of Satan's School for Girls? Yeah, um, so I hadn't seen it before, as, as I was saying. And seeing a TV horror movie from the year 2000, I had I was like, oh, am I going to like this? Because my experience, I suppose, of TV movie horror TV movies nowadays is a strictly sci-fi channel stuff. So actually, yeah. I, th- I, think, I think it was on the print of Satan's School for Girls I was watching. There was a promo for uh, coming up next on sci-fi. It's Earthquake versus Volcano. And I was like, what? <laughs> 
Does that really exist? I, I mean, I may be getting that wrong, but I think that's what it said. So I, I'm, I was kind of expecting something that had no plot and had really dodgy CGI and you know had no substance to it so i was really surprised at how much i enjoyed the film and i wouldn't it's not that far off from being almost a theatrical release to me it does it doesn't feel um cheap is, is probably what the, the way right. is what i was expecting um now i had i have seen the original as well and i wasn't a huge fan of the original i found it a bit maybe a bit bland i suppose uh, i don't want to break your heart there um no, that's amanda okay. It's okay. um but i i preferred this version um uh, i mean it's not quite okay. suspiria which it it's uh, I, I think suspiria must have um riffed a little on the original satan school for girls surely but i did like this i thought the cgi was quite accomplished considering that it was still in its infancy i suppose it, you know it, it started emerging maybe mid 90s and this is 2000 um you know it opens with that uh, scene where the the crow or the raven uh, dissolves into a cloud of smoke yeah. and, and then reappears as kind of this ghostly um, figure. I thought that was quite well done, and it was quite eerie as well. Which, because um, sometimes I find with horror, made for TV horror, is that because it's so safe, it becomes a little bland. Um, so for me, like my favorite made for TV movies are kind of like after school specials done for a, yeah. maybe an older audience. Like I love things like Sarah T and um, mm, yeah. co- Cocaine, One Man's Obsession, and mm. uh, you know things like Obsessed and that. Um, but uh, this one, I was yeah, I was super impressed with a lot of it. Uh, I found it really entertaining, really engrossing, and I, I, as I said, I went into it thinking it was going to be quite mundane and like a sci-fi movie. I mean, I don't know. Do you like those sci-fi movies, Amanda? Like you know, Giant Shark versus Octopus and all that type of stuff. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Um, I think because <laughs> because um, and I don't really know because I don't know enough about the films. I'm sorry. So I have rats. I know people are, can hear them wrestling <laughs> right now. So I apologize. Um, but the uh, and I don't mean I mean rats I own, not just rats wrestling in my house. <laughs> actual pet rats um, in the walls. But, yeah. Yeah, but like so, like the Sharknado movies and things like that. Um, I know I've never seen one, so so I'm just basing this off my own personal preference and taste but i don't like movies that try to set out to be bad movies Mm. um because that's just ridiculous yeah and i also and i hate that phrase so bad it's good if it's if you enjoy it then it's good but i feel like movies like sharknado are like let's be bad let's make a crappy movie and everybody will love it and and a lot of people do like that kind of stuff but like it it kind of bothers me and um it lacks heart Mm. and so i have seen some sci-fi movies that i have like there's one with thomas calabro called they nest which is on Amazon. I'm pretty sure that's a sci-fi original from like 2000, and it's really good. Mm. Um, and there was one called Sabretooth that's kind of forgettable, but at the time, when you're sitting and watching it, it's pretty enjoyable. Then that has dodgy CGI. Mm. Um, but um, but it's fun enough. And so I don't hate them all. And actually, the first original sci-fi movie came out in 1992 and starred Kate Jackson, who's in this, um, and Robbie Benson. And I've never seen that, but that actually looks really good. So I'm not against sci-fi originals but it's not my preference for yeah same like, with me and i think you said like the strength of this film is that it's played kind of straight they're not going for a deliberately campy tone and, and that helps it and it I, I was never i never watched like buffy or charmed or angel or any of those but i get the impression that this is kind of along the lines of an episode of one yeah. of those shows it has high you know high production values it has a decent script uh, it's got the wonderful shannon doherty in it of course uh or doherty i think you, you say over there over here in ireland yeah. we would call her doherty um so uh 
yeah, I was really impressed with it um, because I suppose because I went in thinking, oh, it's from the two thousand, and I'm I'm just so retro that I, I like all things kind of eighties or nineties at this stage. Yeah. Um, but no, I was yeah, I was taken aback by how good it was. Yeah. Yeah, I was too. Um, Nate, this is the first time viewing for you too, so tell me what you thought. Um, I had seen the original a really long time ago, um, and I remember enjoying it. So I. You know, was a little nervous that the remake might, you know, not be not hold up for me because um, I just love the whole seventies vibe with the original. Yeah, I just find that a lot of fun. Um, but I really liked it um, as well. You know, I thought that you know it was fun seeing you know Shannon Doherty uh, trying to figure out what's going on at this college, and I uh, thought all the characters did really well. Um, you know, all the actors you know did really well in it. I've got questions, but it's it's spoiler territory, so I don't oh, want okay. to. I'll wait until we're going to talk about the finale. That way, people can skip ahead then if they want to. But um, the movie itself, I found to be like a lot of fun. I love the cheesy, you know, effects. You know, like the lightning bolts and all that stuff. Like they're just they're fun to me. And yeah, I mean, it's you know, I I think it's a, a good movie. I kind of can see where Dan's coming from. Um, you know, when he said he did find it, you know, you know, maybe just kind of okay. For a while, I was kind of feeling the same way. But as the movie goes on, I found myself getting more and more invested into it. So by the ending, I was like, okay, yeah, I had fun watching that one for sure. So yeah, I'm glad I watched it. Good. Um, I will say Dan did bring up something about this being kind of era where horror was kind of underwhelming. Maybe not so much 2000 because Scream had come out in 96 and that kind of changed the face of horror and a lot of really fun stuff came out. But before that, and now this is not a diss because I love Wishmaster, but Wishmaster was one of the last of the theatricals <laughs> before Scream. And that's a crazy, like, cartoony whatever i'm not even sure how to even explain that movie but like it's good and it's mm -hmm. fun but that's kind of what was coming out in the theater at the time so it was this kind of weird stuff that wasn't really it was like horror comedy and it wasn't really scary and it was like cartoony and and so there was like this weird sort of era of the late 80s into like the mid 90s where horror was wasn't sure what it was i think and also like eric said cgi was in its infancy so they were trying to mess around with certain things uh, outside of practical effects and it didn't always work and so it was kind of a weird decade for horror plus i have to say i love scream and i know this is going to sound really blasphemous to a lot of horror fans but a lot of the stuff that came out on the heels of it i didn't really like at all like i didn't like a lot of the um i didn't like the faculty um, and I know Eric and Nate will be really upset, but I did not like the sequel to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, or I guess that is the name of it. I Still Know What You Did. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't uh, like it. Um, I, I love like it. I, I, I love it. Yeah, everybody loves it. But like there was just this I, I didn't I think self-aware horror is really hard to do. And so a lot of it like Scream really did it so correctly that it was impossible for any film to match it. And not to mention Wes Craven did it with Wes Craven's new nightmare right before that. So like he kind of already said everything there was to say about this sort of meta horror thing. And so everybody that came on the heels of it, I, I personally don't feel like they got it very Right, and so, and then there was a lot of shit like Dracula 2000. Do you guys remember that? Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. So, 
So it was a, it was a rough yeah. time for horror. And I, I think you're right that Satan School for Girls came out in sort of the belly of it. And it was interesting because, so I couldn't find it this time, but when, when um, Satan School for Girls 2000 first came out or when I was, I did some research on it or I remember reading about Aaron Spelling and talking about it. And um, he was riding high on the heels of Charmed at the time. And Shannon Doherty was too. And so it probably just seemed right for him to remake it. But I remember him talking about making TV movies again. And I wish I could find the article that I saw it in. Because at the time, TV um, network TV TV movies were very rare. They had really started to die out, and they'd gone to basic cable. And so it was kind of interesting to see a horror TV movie in 2000 on a network. And I think it did a really good job of keeping it pretty old school, because even though I think it veers really off the map of the original film, it keeps it the same tone of it, which is that sort of eerie, straight face sort of storytelling. Now, I did rewatch Saints Go for Girls, the original, to compare them, and they are very different. They start off exactly the same with the girl committing suicide. The one in the original is kind of brutal for TV because she hangs herself. And so when um, Pamela Franklin, who's her sister and the star of the film, comes home, she opens up the door and her sister's hanging from the ceiling and it's done from like the neck down you just see the body dangling and i i think for tv that probably would have been a little shocking in 1973 and then they kept some of the characters like professor delacroix who is in both versions um but playing different types of characters they got rid of the lloyd bachner character who's like the really skitzy like I guess he's the science teacher who's like telling them that they're all rats in a cage. If you don't, if you have any memory of the original, he's like got this rat experiment and he's driving the students nuts and everything. But then they also have this really sexy professor played by Roy Thinnes. And in the original, he's a much darker character. In this one, he's kind of, he's not the same character. He's kind of just a louse and, and whatever. Um, now the roommate you're talking about was Julie Benz who would go on to do a ton of different um, things afterwards, including Dexter. And one of her other roommates was, um, I don't know how to say her first name, but it's like Taraja P. Henson who would go on to Empire and Hidden Figures. Very well known, very well respected actress. So the casting of this was really good. Um, a lot of them would go on to do a lot of um, big things later, but let's talk about the the story itself. So like, she it starts off exactly like that. She wants to know what happened to her sister. So she enrolls in the school and she kind of becomes friends with these girls. And one of the things I like so much about this part of the film is that I like them sort of getting to know each other. Like they go out and get beer and she gets a boyfriend. And all while this is happening, there's a couple of like scary things. And one of the things that Eric talked about is how well it was shot. So so after she meets um, Dana Kroskov's character, who's the guy who works in the admissions and is her love interest, he um, she's talking about this dream she had. So she's, it turns out that um, Shannon Doherty's character is psychic. And she had this prediction of her parents' death. Uh, and then it happened. And then she sort of pushed down her psychic abilities until this all this stuff happened with her sister. And she's telling him this story about how she's dreaming about this tree. And it turns out it's like Devil's Tree, ironically enough, is the name of it. And he takes her to the to the tree. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's shot in black and white, but they're in color. Do you remember that? I Yes. Yeah. They're doing some kind of polarization effect or oh, something. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting. And, and I thought, wow, that's kind of a cinematic touch for a TV movie, you know. And so it was things like that that I liked about the film. But anyway, so she um, kind of confides in Daniel Crossgrove's character. And she's pretty sure that the goth girls have something to do with the five. 
And then we find out that things have been kind of subverted, that she's wrong about who the five are. And, um, and we come to find out that her friends are the Satanists. So here's the thing. So when the movie came out, I guess I'm not going through the story very well. I'm really, Dan does it much better than me. But one of the things that, that got um, some of the criticism against the film was that uh, one of the reviewers found it really sexist. And I was thinking about it. And I kind of think that maybe they're right to a degree in that the original five. So we come to find out that the five is like this legacy group that's existed in the college for like decades and maybe centuries. And it's an all girl college. And these uh, five women, I guess the original five, I can't remember where they came from, but they were from decades before the film takes place, had all risen to these high-ranking positions of power throughout the world doing different things. I guess when you think about the core of it, there, the film might be saying that, that oh, a successful woman can only be successful if like she's a Satanist. Do you know what I mean? Like She has to have a deal with the devil if she's going to find herself in any kind of respectable position outside of the home. And I think that's what the reviewer was picking at. And I think maybe that's there. And I think it's maybe there for a lot of movies, but maybe not by 2000. You know what I mean? Like the initiation of Sarah had it and um, and the original Satan School for Girls had it. So um, did any was anybody thinking anything like that when they were watching it about the five? Did you have any ideas about like um, what it was saying about women? Oh, how am I trying to word this? What it was saying about women in positions of power and how they can achieve these positions? No, I wasn't thinking of it at the time I was watching it, but it makes sense now when you say it in yeah. retrospect that it's like these five women have achieved you know, they're, they're bosses of companies and they're, they're, you know, senators and whatever, and they've done it all through the power of Satan. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it hadn't occurred to me only because it's a school for girls. So who else would it be doing it at, at, at a school for girls? True. But, yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's but true. I can't, I, I can't see your. Yeah. I think it's because it's because just because women can't become, um, powerful unless there's something behind them i think is what maybe the metaphor that the reviewer Mm, was picking up on was saying but what it made me think of was that dan and nate and i did a commentary for a movie called amazons which is about an amazons trying to take over the world and and we were talking about that it's got sort of mixed messages behind it in um, and it's speaking towards sort of an anxiety of women becoming more powerful. And But that came out in 1984, and that came out in the year that a woman was running for vice president for the first time, which a woman is running for vice president for the first time in Amazons, which it, pre- it predicts it. And so it was really interesting. So I kind of I kind of see where it's coming from. But anyway, that was just something I, I noted. So um, does anyone want to talk about specific things in the film? Because I know, I know Nate had some questions. But do we want to talk about anything leading up to the finale? Some thoughts you had about things that happened in the film? The one thing that did stick out for me was that when it comes to the satanic chanting, that um, one of the five's voices sounded very unsatanic. She comes out and she goes, Hail Master! Hail Master! Hail Master! Master of all dark spirits, we beseech thee. Bring us the fifth so our power can be complete and thy will be done. 
it's it's <laughs> such a change from the usual sort of, sort of satanic chanting you would hear in another movie. I thought that that was yes. a real stand standout. Yes. Did, I, yeah. did that? Did anyone else notice that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and does does one of them have a bit of a lisp too, which I think felt like got in the way, possibly. Uh, that could have been just me hearing that, but but no, I heard that like hail Satan. That and it's like whoa, honey. Let's um, bring the voice down. <laughs> yeah. I know you're supposed to be scary. It's, yeah. What's interesting about that um, is not interesting, but one of the things I noticed is that there's two blondes. One is Julie Benz and one is the other blonde. And I could, I was like, who is this new blonde? I had up? the same problem. There was like the two look kind of very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know where mm. she came from or who she is or what happened to her. Eric had mentioned uh, Suspiria, and actually the first note I have here is in big letters, Suspiria, uh, although the fourth note I have is grab ass, and I'm not sure what that refers to. <laughs> I may have been thinking of something else, okay. but, but, but the first note I have is Suspiria, and, and right at the, because right at the beginning, not, not only do you get a moment where there's a gal running out of a, like an all-girls school um, in terror as someone is trying to stop her, but you get, uh, well, this isn't, well, this is Suspiria. I, it's probably more tenebra-esque, mm. but, but like the opening shot of the movie is like a camera slowly tracking up a tree and seeing like the pentagram and then going higher and then higher and swooping up over the branches and then kind of going, tilting over to the right where you see the pentagram on the ground. It's the devil's tree, but it's a very sort of elaborate Argento-esque up in the air, even, even to the point where um, there's a point where like the, the camera kind of shifts a little to get around a branch and just for a slight second it wobbles, which isn't bad. But you're like, oh, that's cool. I like that. So it's kind of a, kind of a neat, very Argento-esque moment for me. You know, that's so funny. I didn't pick up on on Suspiria at all. And now I want to rewatch it and kind of keep that in mind. Because I guess I was thinking of Charmed and um, The Craft was a really big movie that had come out just a couple years yes. earlier. Yeah. And it was really feeding on those. So those were in my mind um, and not Suspiria at all. And now it's really interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. And I guess at the ending, there's sort of, it's not necessarily Suspiria-esque, but the finale definitely has this like, we're all witches kind of, they're not witches or Satanists, but it's got that kind of feeling of the revelation there. So let's talk a little bit about Kate Jackson. So Kate Jackson's in the original and she came back. And so, um, and um, these are my background notes, but I'll just put it here because it, I think it applies. So uh, they did sort of a junket where they had Aaron Spelling, Shannon Doherty and uh, Kate Jackson all kind of talking about making this movie. It was just one junket with that ended up in all the newspapers and Kate Jackson hates the title Satan's School for Girls. And so when she would talk about the movie, she would only talk, she referred to it as the school. <laughs> and and that's it. And I thought, that's great. I kind of wish it was called The School because Satan School for Girls kind of gives it away, right? So, like, The School is much eerier, but she um, she hated the title. She didn't mind. Uh, she had a pretty good working relationship with Aaron Spelling, so she was like, her, both her and Shannon Doherty were basically like, if Aaron Spelling calls you and tells you he wants you in something, you just show up the day he tells you to show up, and you do it. And they, I think they both really liked him. Now, I know, I think Shannon Doherty and Aaron Spelling had a tumultuous relationship because it seemed like she was coming and going from all of his shows but he liked her enough that he kept putting her in things over and over again and Kate Jackson herself um, was known on the set of Charlie's Angels for also being a little bit of um, I don't want to say uh, what's the word I want to use she she locked horns with um, Cheryl Latt they did not get along at all she got along with the first two angels um, but when Farrah left and Cheryl Ladd came in they did not get along and it's interesting because they're in Saints School for Girls together so they already met at this point point. Um, and then she left the show 
partially, I believe, because she had been offered Kramer versus Kramer and had to turn it down because of a contract with Charlie's Angels. And she got really sort of disillusioned, I think, with things at the end. And so, but he continued to use her, obviously, in things and Shannon Doherty. So I don't think um, problems that happened on the set always meant things as deeply to him as they do to us in like sort of the collective consciousness of things that were happening on the set. But anyway, so she shows up in this. She looks great. Um, it's kind of a thankless role because she only shows up like two or three times. And I think it's kind of obvious. Is she playing the same? Going... Sorry, is she playing the same character as the in the original? Because she does, no, no, no. She, she does mention in, that she's an alumni of the college or, or the school. Yeah, mm. yeah. She um, that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. She um, she's one of the students in the original, and um, oh, I can't. Joan Van Fleet maybe is the headmistress in the original, and so um, yeah. So she's just a student. Her and Cheryl Ladd are part of the group, I think. Uh, and so yeah, I didn't. I never thought of her being attached to it in that way. But yeah, she becomes headmistress of um, the new uh, school. And um, and she just shows up like three or four times. But like that that scene where she's at the admissions office and Shannon drops the file with um, the goth girls. I think it's the goth girl or her sister's uh, file and all the stuff falls out. And then Keith Jackson makes this face like, what? And you can kind of tell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that she's involved somehow. There's not a lot of that's the thing. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of mystery here, I think, as to no. who is who. I mean, we, you guys were not shocked at all. I'm assuming that the that the quote unquote good girls were the bad girls, right? Only because, oh, no. yeah, they, I expected it. Yeah, because they make a big point of the of the good girls versus the goths, and it's like mm, they're making too much mm-hmm. out of this plot line. So there has to be something else to it, and you can kind of see where it's going to go. Yeah. Plus, there's there's the moment where uh, Shannon Doherty's character goes into the one of the goth gals' um, dorm rooms, and the goth gals are there. They're they've got their hair, which isn't quite black one of them it looks more like a dark dark red and they've got like the the white faces look like they put a lot of powder on their faces or something like that and as they're standing there being super goth there's there's a woman in the middle of the room shannon doherty in a in a black dress with jet black hair and actual pale skin who looks more goth than they ever could so it's like mm, i think there's something going on there i think these are these are faux goths and you're barking up the wrong tree as it were who are you? Uh, my name's Karen. What the hell are you doing in here? I came to see you to talk. About what? I heard that you used to be roommates with the girl who committed suicide. And someone I was close with recently killed herself, so I guess I can relate. No, you can't. Get out! And if I ever catch you in here again, I'm gonna call the cops. I'm sorry, I should have asked your permission before I came Yeah, here. you're damn right. Wait a second. You look familiar. How do I know you? I don't know. Where are you from? Portland. I just transferred here. Have you ever been to Portland? No, but I know I've seen you before. Maybe. Look, I'm really sorry that I came in here. And like I said, I'd love to talk to you sometime. Don't hold your breath. Well, I wonder Nate was so drawn to Monica and Death of a Cheerleader. What did you think of the goss in this one? Well, I mean, I preferred Monica, if I'm being honest, because (laughs) Monica didn't bother anybody. She just wanted to be left alone, you know, and and I feel like the goth girls here. I mean, yeah, sure. They, you know, may may want to be left alone, but I don't know. They just they came across kind of mean to Shannon. Yeah. And I don't like people to be mean to Shannon. No, I don't either. 
yeah, it's interesting because you don't really see a crack in the veneer of of them being kind of good people, really, until the one girl dies. And even then, you don't really even see much of of anything like that. They just seem kind of kind of mean, but they looked great. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of getting back in touch with my goth roots. I've been wearing a lot of black lately and I've been listening to a lot of Morrissey. And so I've been like and the cure. I'm I'm re-entering back into my teen angsty phase, so I really like these girls. I like the blonde one with the braids. She was really cute, and I kind of want to be her, but I'm not blonde, <laughs> and I'm not 18. But um, also, just um, I also really liked the romance between Daniel Crossgrove's character and Shannon Doherty's. I thought it was really sweet, and I remembered kind of where it was going to go, where we find out that he's in league with the Satanists. But for some reason, and I don't know if it's because I just wanted it to happen... I, I kept thinking, oh, he saved, he, he comes forward in the end and helps her. Like, that's my memory of it. And so when that doesn't happen, I was really upset because he just used her, didn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah, but I felt like he did like her genuinely. He just was in league with the bad side. I know, but he like... He had a job to do, yeah. But he was giving up her game, and I, I really bothered me. Yeah. It was such a sweet romance. Like, I love the part where he's walking her home from the where they go and get beer. And she's wearing his jacket, and it's like three times too big on her. <laughs> and and they kiss, and then she keeps his jacket. She goes into the into her dorm, and I just thought that was I just thought the relationship was really sweet, and um, that's the romantic in me. Stuart Hall, home sweet home. I really had a good time tonight. Glad you came out. Me too. I just have one question though. Mm-hmm. Why'd you lie to me? I didn't lie to you. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You told me you were taking a religion course. And at work, I just happened to look up your schedule, and you're not. Well, um, I don't know. I. You saw me reading that occult book, and I just didn't want you to think that I was some kind of freak or something. Oh, too late. I already did. <laughs> yeah. It's part of your appeal, you see. Oh, that's good. So, why were you reading it? Well, this is going to sound a little stupid, but uh, I'm actually scared of Lisa. No, that's that's not stupid. I had to put some stuff in her file after Jenny Hammersmith died, and, uh, well, you can't believe what's in there. Like what? Well, for one thing, Lisa told the dean that Jenny wanted Lisa to teach her about the occult, and I guess Jenny was really getting into it before she died, and uh, she also said that Jenny came on to her. But Lisa turned her down. Now, my bet is it was the other way around, but I don't know. And all of that's in her files. That is in her files, yes. If you don't believe me, I can get your copy. That'll give me an excuse to see you again. Will that be okay? <laughs> yeah, that would be fine. That'll be fine? That'll be okay? Be okay. Okay. Did you guys know that feel like he was going to turn against her at the end? I don't think I did. No, and he does, I don't in think fairness, I did either, really. And he, do, he doesn't really turn against her. He sort of half turns against her. Reluctantly yeah. turns against her. He turned against her enough that I'm really mad at him. <laughs> yeah, but he gets thrown against a tree then as as his um, comeuppance. Really hard. Punishment. Yeah. <laughs> he does, and then he dies, right? Am I right? I assume he does, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah it was really, upsetting. Yeah. It was upsetting. And then, not only that, but then Julie Benz has to tell Shannon Doherty that he was cheating after the fact, that's making him look so, even worse. Oh, that's that's right. so evil. That's so right. awful. Yeah. 
That's the other thing, too. Julie Benz's character. I think the other part about it being kind of like anti-female was that the Julie Benz character was just really jealous. And that Professor Delacroix was like a snake. And like, Mm. yet she was so obsessed with him. You know what I mean? And like, so the whole, like, there was like an antagonism there that maybe irked people. I don't really know. I liked the Professor Delacroix storyline because it is misleading because in the original with I guess I'm spoiling it. Delacroix turns out to be a bad guy. I won't say exactly what, but like in this one, he's just like a deer caught in the headlights through most of it. He's just like this sexy guy that walks around mm-hmm. and takes off his shirt and hits on the students, touches their butts, and that was super. And he goes to their yeah, frat was... parties, yeah. and he touches girls' butts. <laughs> Can I ask? Is it is it commonplace in America for um, lecturers to touch the students' butts, or is it mm. is it illegal? <laughs> I would not think it's common practice. No, I don't know. I don't know if it's illegal. That sort of thing was tailing off when I was. Yeah, yeah. I think though. But if you watch any of those like horror films, like so, what am I thinking of, Dan? I'm thinking of Final Exam. You remember the professor in that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Please do, professor with the blog. Yeah, and graduation day has the piano teacher and um, Linnea Quigley. So it was it was prevalent in like popular culture, but I don't think it was ever accepted. Yeah, yeah, it made me think. Oh, this must go on all the time in every single college (laughs) in America. If if it's in all these movies. You know, and graduation and must day, be she wasn't necessarily attracted to that teacher. Oh no, no, no! But she like wanted this, a good grade. Yeah, yeah, but it's like this idea that yeah. you could do that, yeah. and also when he knows you're alone, right? The professor and the really slutty character sure. um, are having an affair, so she can get an A, right? You better give me an A plus plus, she says, and so like, um, but he was cute. Um, so that was okay. I, I can do that. But like, <laughs> but like, yeah, so you see it all the time in TV, but yeah, I think that was a, but in 2000, that was kind of shocking me. And so in the original, they all have a crush on him, but there's no, as far as we can tell up until the end, there's, there's no fooling around that we see. Right. So, um, here he was, he was open about his lechery, which is interesting too, because it's an all girl college. So I went to an all girl college and I was, I took a class. I was older than everybody because I went back to school in my late 30s. And um, there was, I took, had to take a nutrition class. And the nutrition class was taught by this guy who was like 28, maybe really good looking and obviously in really good shape because he was a nutrition and like one of the gym coaches or something. And my girlfriend, who was like 22 that I would go to the class with, she would get texts from her roommate saying, oh, are you in, I can't even remember the professor's name, are you in so-and-so's class today? I saw him walking across campus yesterday. He's the, got the greatest ass. And so like, the, so like he was our professor Delacroix, and <laughs> he really had to handle the girls uh, lightly because I think he found himself in a position where if he did anything wrong, he could get in a lot of trouble. And so he did this really miscalculated thing where he was going to teach us how to measure our BMI, which is, you know, your fat mm. percentage in your body. Don't ask 18-year-old girls to measure their fat when you're a really <laughs> hot guy. Don't yeah. do it. And and all, and nobody was really doing it right. And so, like, I had 33% fat. Like, apparently I have no bones. I'm just all fat. And that's what keeps me going. And so, like, and so, like it was like all these girls measuring their fat. But he, to do it, you have to pinch your skin in certain places. And he couldn't show us how to do it on other people because we were all girls. So he had to like sort of show us with the air. And so we all did it wrong. So what I'm saying is uh, that whole story is all to just say that like I think professors now are very conscious of what could happen if they do something even slightly wrong. 
So they're very careful about what they do. But in 2000, apparently, it was still okay to grab their asses. <laughs> yes. Obviously. Yeah. But by 2010, it was done. By the time I went back to school, you weren't allowed to do that. So um, anyway, so so then um, we get to the finale. And uh, I know Nate has some questions. So basically, everything gets uncovered. And they're all in, like, their robes and stuff. And they're trying to get Shannon. They need her as the five because they have four. And she is the fifth one. It's a lot like the craft in that way, except that they're bad. And so, like, uh, she's their watchtower of the north or whatever. And so, like, they really need her. And she's fighting whatever. And um, and so then all this stuff happens. And um, her power is able to sort of decimate the five or the four i guess at this point and um and so that's their finale but dan you thought it was kind of underwhelming yeah i um right when it starts it's pretty obvious to me that that shannon's character wasn't going to join up with them and I, I was hoping it would be like a big um just battle of all kinds of almost like um but not quite like the uh, roger corman film the raven with vincent price and basil yeah. rathbone uh where they have where they have that duel at the end which eventually becomes silly but is a lot of fun. i thought it was going to be something more like them you know like i throw a uh you know a uh you know a bookcase at you and then you try to set me on fire and then you do this but really it's kind of just throws her arms up and something happens in the script he throws her hands up something happens <laughs> uh, yeah I bet, I bet it does but but no, i i was hoping it would be more of like a like a like a witchcrafty satanic-y kind of duel um, yeah. because once you realize that all she has to do is kind of go zonk and, and they all die, it's like, okay, well, that's great. And so it didn't really grab me. And then you see the tag scene and you see who she's married and everything. I was like, what, what's going on there? But I don't know if we'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's interesting. I don't know how well you remember the spell, but like that has a really great climax at the end. Oh where my like, gosh, that ending to that movie is fantastic. Oh, yeah. 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 You're just working your way up to the end. They decimate that house. The mother and the daughter get into a to-do. And it's just stuff is everywhere. And bodies are flying. And it's really impressive. And it's really intense. And I think that's what maybe you were, yeah. when you're describing that, that's what I'm thinking of. Or there's a scene in the middle of Midnight Offerings where the two girls are going back and forth with, like, um, they're in the um, auto class, auto shop class or whatever. And so there's tools going back and forth, right, to, like, mm-hmm. try to kill each other. And that's kind of didn't happen in this and i can kind of see where you're coming from now that i'm thinking about the spell i kind of might have preferred that but um nate you said that there were you had some questions about the end yeah i mean i know they had to go the route that they went i understand that but they want shannon doherty to join them maybe during a dark and stormy night and wearing these dark robes and saying you should join us is probably not the best way to get her interested (laughs) Maybe they should have done a girls' night out. They could have gone seen a movie. They could have gone eat and stuff. And then maybe while they're eating, be like, "Okay, girl, now we got to tell you something." Our bowling. We are witches, or you know, Satanists, and you know, we want you to join us, and you can have anything you want, and we're not scary. See, so I don't understand their methods for getting her to join. It seems counterproductive to. <laughs> terrify her on a dark and stormy night to join them because they actually want her to be part of the group they're not trying to kill her so to me i'm like i think they they miscalculated how they should get her to join i was gonna say it does look like she's going to kind of reluctantly join them and then suddenly decides actually no i'm not i'm going to make this chandelier explode instead um so it look it looks like for a second that she is going to join um, which seems, I mean, I assume it's supposed to be that she's just 
um, buying time until she decides what to do and make the chandelier explode. Yeah, I kind of think that. But then when you said it, I was thinking, too, also they were so all of the well, I guess it's more in the original because I'm getting them mixed up now. I think part of it is that the five are comprised, I think we're made to believe of girls that don't really have a family. So so they're lured into well, they have these powers, these sort of unharnessed powers that that Satan can use, obviously. But um, also that they're they've calculated taking people who are in need of some something else, some kind of connection. And so so when the way you worded it, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking when I was watching. But I think you're right. I think she's just buying time. But then me, I have to like fucking pull up all the subtext out of it. <laughs> well, she also needs a family, guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, but they've been telling her that since the beginning, um, like her parents' death and everything, her sister's death basically was all led up to get her to that college. Like that's right, that's right. They they say like they've basically been orchestrating this for years to get her there, which to me seems insane. (laughs) That's right, because I forgot they have that part where they have her in that whatever that is it a church or something and. and they bring up the uh, images of her sister and her parents, like as ghosts or something that come to her, and it kind of confuses her for a second. So yeah, maybe that is there. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot that they had said that like they had she was born with the power or whatever, so that they were sort of like basically murdering her parents and and her sister to get her to show up. That's mean, guys. That is really mean. <laughs> yeah, it's very convoluted. Because they're not yeah. just offer her some like a free Twix or um, you know a, a big poster of Jason Priestley. That should entice her to come to the college. <laughs> There's easier ways. Yeah, I think I think a chunky Kit Kat might have done it for you, Eric. It would. She needed something more substantial. <laughs> okay. Did you ever see but, the unauthorized story of Beverly Hills 90210? That that movie. No. So there is a. I'm just looking at it here on IMDb. I, I saw it a few years back, and uh, an actress called Samantha Monroe plays Shannon Doherty. It's basically a gossipy, tabloidy type look yeah. at what was going on behind the scenes of 90210. It's kind of hilarious, but it's very difficult to know if any of it is true. So. They yeah. did a Saved by the Bell version of that as well. Yeah, they have. There's a series of them, I think. I remember yeah. seeing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I kind of want to see it because I'd be curious um, to see what what they have said over the years and what really happened. But it's hard to know. So, like, I, on the Annie biography, they interviewed a director who directed a bunch of 90210s, and he got along with Shannon really well. He loved her. He thought she was this really tremendous actress, and he really liked working with her. But at the beginning, they didn't get along, and he said something to the effect of, you know, Shannon, just tell me if I'm doing something that annoys you, and I will stop. And she said, well, you're annoying me right now. And he said, okay, I'll stop. And she started laughing and they became really good friends after that. So <laughs> I, I don't know if she just had a way about her and you just had to sort of hit the right buttons, mm. you know? And, and mm-hmm. But some people, she got along really well with certain people, obviously, and some people she just didn't, you know? And I guess that could be said of anybody in this world. So it's just she did it in front of millions of people, I think. Mm. But, and so to, mm. to, to sort of branch off from that, and then we'll go into another day, um, one of the things about Shannon's film roles not counting obsessed. I kind of feel like after 90210, she was very conscious about the kind of characters she was going to play. So 
uh, obsessed really feeds into this image of how we saw Shannon Doherty as the person, like kind of unhinged. You know, she was being portrayed in the media that way. And obsessed really like is almost like a um, a really exaggerated mirror of that. But all of her other films, she was very specific to choose these very kind of calm together characters. And we see that here in um, in Saint School for Girls, and um, where she plays a pretty together person who is able to sort of absorb information without overreacting to it and and also stand up for herself and do all these kind of really cool independent strong things without seeming like a live wire and i think that she specifically chose those parts that's my own personal interpretation of her uh, career in television film after that mm-hmm. anyway uh, does anybody want to add anything to saying school for girls and i'll do the back I, I think maybe i just have two quick things okay I do like the, I love to know what sort of Satan this is because in that opening sequence in the graveyard, the gal who talks to Shannon and then immediately gets killed. Yeah. When the crow uh, sw- swoops down towards her car, it swoops right over an enormous crucifix. Jesus hanging there. And I thought, you think Satan would have a little trouble sort of getting that close to it? You know, going through the graveyard is one yeah. thing, but like flying right over the top of an enormous cross, you'd think that would be troublesome. And two, uh, I know that soon after 2000, it, like 2001 and, and a few years after that is when Americans, we all went crazy, well, I didn't, went crazy buying enormous SUVs. But before that, folks kind of drove regular cars and things. I am wondering, and I am sort of thinking of Friday the 13th a bit, but I'm wondering, is there any subste- subtext in uh, her character driving a Jeep at that time period? Ooh, that's a question I can't answer. I know nothing about cars. Yeah. Do you guys I don't have know. any thoughts? Nathan? Okay. <laughs> I, I know what a Jeep looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I mean, thrown that out there. If anyone, I mean, I, anyone listening. I guess Jeeps are like, uh, a woman driving a Jeep is like kind of um, breaking a stereotype. Because I don't think that we normally think of women in Jeeps. And it, maybe it's to add to her character being kind of an independent person i mean that would be my guess but i don't know enough about cars that's interesting though that's but what i want to point out about the girl that gets killed off right away it doesn't shannon go to visit her and she's like would you like some vodka like that's the first thing she says (laughs) drink some vodka because she's terrified and she's like been drunk for five ever since she left that school Mm -hmm. you know and she kind of you know what that did make me think of suspiria because it made me think of when Susie banyan goes to that other girl's apartment and she only stays there for like a day and then she goes back but it made me think of how she's sort of outside of everything you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. still kind of a part of it, I guess. But yeah, I thought that was funny. And also, we didn't talk about the very, very end. So after Shannon demolishes everything uh, and everybody, like it flash forwards a couple years and she's married and she has a baby and her husband goes to work and she puts her kid in like one of those, I don't know what you call them, those crib things where they can play in them and she has it outside and she goes in to answer the phone. And then the raven or whatever it is shows up. And then there's like three or four of them. And then she's like, what and then the credits roll and i thought that i don't like that it ended so darkly because i really like her and i feel like she fought really hard to walk away from her destiny or to push away herself away from it only to end up like suffering at the end and i'm not sure i loved the tag ending did you guys have thoughts about it it's felt it felt very after the fact didn't it i wouldn't be surprised if it was if it was a reshoot or something many months later it just seemed yeah it just seems odd I mean, I kind of I'm, I'm agreeing with uh, Eric here because I felt like it, it did it did feel kind of tacked on, as in like, well, maybe we should have a the threat still out there kind of ending because a lot of movies did that. 
You yeah. know, they, they did the whole, like, you think everything's okay, and then suddenly, like, there's, like, some piece uh, left behind where you know it's not over. Yeah, I think um, it's just the fact that... A lot of movies like, like to pull that, so I'm thinking that this movie was trying to go that route with it, but I didn't think it was necessary. Yeah. And the fact that she has a husband and kids that I've never, are never explained sort of just makes it feel very mm-hmm. um, abrupt. In retrospect, I kind of like the the way they bookended it with the birds. But yeah, the rest of it leading up to that last couple minutes were really like, oh, no. And plus, it's like I said, I just was invested in her. So I didn't like that kind of ending. She should have had a happier ending, I think. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a cheap ending myself. Sort of like um, one of those things like a happy hell night ending where like the, the good guys go through so much stuff to stop the bad guy. And then right at the um, end, yeah. oh, all that stuff you did it didn't work you know it's like no it should have worked <laughs> leave it just leave I'm, it you know oh, I, I, so i wasn't so thrilled I'm there are movies it. i want to talk about that do that but i'm afraid <laughs> i'm gonna spoil them yeah but there are some movies i hate long, when eden lake <laughs> oh oh gosh i can't even discuss that without being angry yeah <laughs> you know it's funny that you mentioned happy hell night because i watch happy hell night three times a year because the boys in it are so cute but i watched mm-hmm. it twice in the last two weeks and I actually watched it twice like I watched it and then I watched it the next night because I love that movie but I think you're right <laughs> yeah. about the end the very very end no whatever and you're like come on guys that shouldn't have happened I think it works yeah. in Killer Party which I just rewatched as well yes. but I yeah. don't I don't think it always works. Yeah, that's a really good example because when you were saying that, I was thinking, wait, what's he talking about? And then I remembered the very last shot and yeah, it's kind of a disappointment. So if we're done talking about that, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the film itself. I'll tell you that it ran on March 8th, 2000 on ABC. uh, So here's what it ran against. On CBS, it ran against King of Queens, something called Grapevine that I don't remember. Everybody Loves Raymond and Becker. I feel really bad for Grapevine because all the other three shows were like major hits. And then we've got Grapevine. What is that? And then on NBC was Freaks and Geeks um, and something called 21, another show I don't know. On Fox was that 70s show, Malcolm in the Middle and Allie McBeal, which was a pretty powerhouse night for Fox. And uh, and the WB existed at this point. So on the WB was Seventh Heaven and Popular. So this was a really big night for TV, which might be why Saints School for Girls didn't do very well. Um, it came in at number 38 for the week with an audience of 10.93 million viewers. It was the lowest rated program in that block for the evening, so it ranked last after all the other shows. It was uh, directed by a man named Christopher Leach, or Lech, uh, which um, he was an episodic director until around this era where he ended up doing um, a lot of TV movies, including Cab to Canada, which is this feel-good movie based on a true story about a woman somewhere in the United States who hires a guy to take her to Canada, a taxi cab driver, and all this stuff happens on there. They have like a little adventure along the way, and it's a really, really good movie. Uh, I think Hilly Joel Osment is in it. Um, he did Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, and he also did I've Been Waiting for You, which is another late entry horror movie with Sarah Chalk that was made for television that's really good. Um, the screenwriter was named Michael Hitchcock. He would go on to produce Glee which I thought was really interesting. So he did a lot of like um, young people-centric type programming, I think. As I mentioned earlier, this featured earlier performances from Julie Benz and Taraji. I never heard her name out loud, so I hope I didn't really butcher that. P. Henson, um, again, from Empire. Uh, Daniel Crossgrove, who plays her love interest, had been on 90210, but he was on the show after Shannon left. And I don't really remember his character that well, um, but I do remember seeing him on the show. Again, this was a remake of the um, 1973 ABC movie, The Week. Both versions were uh, produced by Aaron Spelling. 
uh, I thought it was interesting because he sort of discovered Kate Jackson. He put her in the Rookies and Saints School for Girls before Charlie's Angels. And he kind of made Shannon a name as well. Um, and then they both appeared in this movie together. Uh, Ted Cox of the Daily Herald is the one who said that he hated the film and felt it was sexist. He felt it didn't add anything to the empowerment that he was feeling in shows like Charmed and Buffy. Um, he, and he recommended that if young girls wanted to watch it, that their parents should sit with them to explain some of the problems with the story, which I thought was really interesting. The Orlando Sentinel said it uh, offered very few thrills and was kind of flat. People Magazine said it was a standard walk on the wild side. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette promoted the film as a camp alert, which I thought was really interesting because it's not campy at all. Shannon did say that um, she thought it was one of the more interesting performances she'd ever done. She said, quote, I'm not saying... Good. I'm just saying interesting because my reactions are really bizarre. When horrifying stuff happens, my character sort of deadpans it and rolls her eyes, which I don't think she really does. But I kind of understand what she's saying about how she's very much keeps her cool through the whole film. When if something like that was really happening to you, you'd probably be really, really freaking out. You know what I mean? Um, and she's not. Spelling actually said when he did the press junket for this that he barely remembered uh, the actual original Saints School for Girls. And then he said after 138 TV movies, they all kind of run together. And as I said, Key Jackson only wanted to refer to the film as the school. Um, and so, I, as I mentioned earlier, this was an oddball entry into network TV movies because they pretty much run their course at this time. So um, at the po time that this had premiered, the other networks were actually show, still showing movies, but they were just reruns of theatricals. So the week that this aired, the other networks... Uh, showed Stepmom, that movie with Julia Roberts, Vegas Vacation, and also Contact, which starred Jodie Foster. So they had moved away from producing their own content and gone back to showing theatricals like they had before the TV movie became a thing. Um, so this is kind of a neat, one of the last TV movies of its kind, really, at least for another decade and a half when uh, Rosemary's Baby was made into a miniseries a couple years ago for NBC. You really didn't see stuff like this happening. So this was kind of the last of its kind. I thought it was a pretty good run. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job and it was a good choice to have Aaron Spelling come in and do it because I think he knows what he's doing. So um, so we all liked the movie. Dan, you give it a he hesitant thumbs up? Yes. Okay, and I think the rest of us would give it a thumbs up. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I would. Good, okay. So check it out if you guys have a chance. Um, and let's move on to another day. Shannon Doherty plays Kate. She lives with a guy named Paul, her boyfriend. They live, I think they, they live somewhere, I think it's somewhere in Illinois because they mentioned Chicago a couple times, although I could be horribly wrong on that. And they live in a beautiful house in the woods near a Raging River. Kate is, Kate's best friend is a gentleman named David. And Kate works at a local factory and uh, she doesn't like the job. She's saving up to go to medical school. More or less the same day she gets accepted to medical school, she discovers she's pregnant. And um, her and Paul get into an argument about what to, what to do now. She, you know, she kind of intimating that she doesn't, it's not time for her to have a child. And she wants to go to medical school. She doesn't want to leave that behind. That's been a dream for so long. And her and Paul get in a big fight. Kate uh, hops in her car and just drives away. And she says she drives. She's gone for a couple of days. And she's just gone. And when she returns, she sees that the factory 
uh, where she worked, is on fire. She drives up to the factory and learns that Paul is inside. He's tra- I, I, Paul is a fireman. Uh, I, I believe he's a fireman. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, that's why he's trapped inside EMT fire. Yes. Um, and he's trapped inside. I can't get him out. So, sadly, Paul dies. And, and Kate decides she is going to have the baby and spends more time with David. And um, somewhere in there before the baby is born, uh, uh, the rumor begins to get spread that Paul started the fire, uh, which Kate doesn't believe and David doesn't believe, but folks in the town believe, Uh, especially one woman whose husband was in the building and is like, crippled and it's on an oxygen tank because of that um so she uh kate gives birth to a child uh, megan and then time hops ahead a few years and megan's i don't know five or six and i think she's four kid and four she's four i think okay. so kate and david are are there with megan and kate got accepted to an accounting school and uh, uh david is questioning well where'd your dreams go about a medical school and david's a painter who is currently painting houses but actually paints like paintings and they uh, there's there's kind of a bit of an argument what are you selling my case for just relax all right it's just some dreams die hard you know? what about your dream I mean, what have you done that is so amazing? <laughs> and you're supposed to be this great artist, and look at you. You paint houses for a living. What happened to your great career? I'm sorry, I didn't... No, it's okay. Don't apologize. Now, she doesn't get in a car and drive away for two days, but there's a bit of an argument <laughs> there. Soon after, th- they're all hanging out by the river, and Kate says to Megan, who's playing on a rock by the water... Um, be careful. Almost immediately, Megan falls into the water, and Kate and David leap into the water after her as it rages downstream. I mean, it's it looks very dangerous, and Kate and David go after her, and somewhere along the way, everyone sort of gets lost for a moment, and Kate wounds up washed up on shore and discovers that possibly something to do with the river, she has gone back in time to the point, around the point where she took off in the car for two days, and Paul's there. And David's there, and she has gone back in time to that point. And now she realizes that if, if she can, she has two days to try to change the future. And it goes from there. I'll leave it. Yeah, that's a good point. I do want to add, though, because I think it's important to note that uh, her best friend David confesses having loving, being in love with her and having waited years mm-hmm. for, because it's kind of important yes. to the story, um, for her. And then they both go into the river, and then her husband's all of a sudden there. Um, so this was a first time watch, I guess, for all of us. It's um, a movie I've wanted to see for a long time. I've had it for forever. It um, it originally aired on the USA Network, but I have a copy taped off Lifetime Movie Network. And, um, and just for whatever reason, I never got around to it. But I looked up Shannon's filmography, and I saw that this was the first movie she worked on as the producer. She's an executive producer on it. And I thought, oh, this might be an interesting film to talk about because it's another late entry. It's a USA original, which has their own fascinating history, which we won't go into here. We talked about it a little bit on um, – we covered the China Lake Murders, which was another USA original. And I was curious about it. I've read uh, some pretty positive things about it over the years, and so I thought, let's watch it. 
Um, I'm just going to put it out there. I loved this movie. I loved every second of it. It's really poignant. Um, that's something that Shannon said when she was promoting the film. She said that she was really drawn to the script. Uh, she was taken by it and that there was a poignancy there and also that she felt like it was speaking to her at a mom- at her moment in time at the time she decided to make the film. And um, it's saying a lot of different things and it's doing a lot of different really interesting things and it's sort of supernatural in a way but it's really like a romance and it's also a drama and it's beautifully shot it's really evocative it's um pretty moving and i think it's full of really good performances i don't think the mystery about the fire is all that interesting but everything around it uh really had me um just glued to my screen i loved it um and we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that happens in the film that's really odd that's kind of metaphorical that i really liked later Let's start with Eric. Eric, what did you think of Another Day? Yeah, I thought it was um, it was quite an unusual uh, little film. It has a, a slightly dreamlike quality. Um, and it's also, it was my first time seeing Shannon Doherty as, as a proper sort of grown-up. Because in a lot of those, like even, like Satan's School for Girls was filmed what, a year before this. And uh, I still had her pictured as a sort of 18-year-old. Whereas here, you can sort of, you know, you, you sort of feel that she's maybe in her 30s or late 30s, whatever it's supposed to be. So it was interesting to see her as this kind of adult. And the film feels much more grown up than the rest of the Shannon Doherty TV movies I've been watching this week or the last few weeks. Um, it's quite a, quite a somber film, as you were saying. It's it's um, And it's quite subtle. Uh, Shannon's character, it reminds me of kind of uh, the film Triangle, if you remember that horror film from about mm-hmm. 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I've never seen that. It's, re- it's really, really good, but it's a much darker film, obviously. This is, as you said, it's it's got elements of romance in it and, and that type of thing. But uh, the way that she is sort of... Um, she plays a kind of somber character who's going through the motions here, wondering how can she change... Uh, the future and uh, so the you know the majority of the film focuses on on Shannon hooking up with her late husband and trying to stop him from going to the factory on this certain day now w- when the film started i thought kind of more was going to be made of the time travel aspect uh, i thought as you were saying that the kind of mystery of who set the fire is not that interesting in in the end i thought that was going to be the the heart of the film was going to be shannon goes back in time and finds out that somebody tried to murder her husband and i thought that was going to be sorry this is all spoilers i should have said that's okay but um that that doesn't transpire it doesn't turn into a a kind of a murder mystery i thought was going to be maybe like ghost even with patrick swayze Mm -hmm. where he discovers that uh his mugging again spoiler his mugging wasn't actually a mugging it was a setup it was a murder um so uh, uh, I thought that was where the film was going to go, so I was kind of surprised that it it plays out as this kind of kind of slow, almost slow and ponderous movie that's more of sort of about relationships than it is about time travel as such. Um, I thought Shannon Doherty was excellent in the film, as you were saying, yeah. like the, the performances are really good, um, and she's she's brilliant in it. And there's actually you were saying it was moving. The one scene that I thought was really moving was. Um, Again, this is possible spoiler, but there's a scene towards the end where she looks out of a window of a building and sees her alternate self yes. drive, driving up, which I thought was brilliantly done. Really, really good. Um, uh, as for the film itself, I thought maybe it was a bit slower than I would have liked, 
But I, I, I can see, as I said, it's kind of more of a quote grown ups movie than the than something like Obsessed or Friends uh, Till the End, which are, I suppose, more exploitationy. Uh, this one feels like it's, uh, you know, it's a proper movie, and you, you could see it, you know, maybe being retooled for theatrical release and having, you know big names and a big director attached to it because it has the cachet certainly script wise of something that would get you know released in cinemas and possibly you know awards and stuff because it is so well done and the characters are you know really likable really sympathetic for me possibly a bit too slow but uh, I can really appreciate it and it just shows what a talent um, Shannon Doherty is because uh, I mean when she was doing 90210 and in fact all the cast you know, there was a real stigma about being on a TV show because none of them really broke through into feature films as such. Luke Perry, probably the most successful in, in that capacity, but um, it's a shame because I, think, I thought they were all really strong actors and Shannon is, is brilliant yeah. in this. And the, yeah, it's a film, it's a very laid back film. It's, it's quite delicate. Um, lots of scenes of heart-to-heart dialogues between characters. It's really quite emotional. So it's a real change of pace from Satan's School for Girls and and, <laughs> and indeed the other ones, Obsessed and all that. But I thought it was a, and it's a, I thought it was just a great um, vehicle to show off her talents. I thought she's excellent in it. Um, again, prepare yourself. The film is, as I said, is more leisurely paced. So know that going in. I think you'll get a lot out of it. It does have a, it does tug at the heartstrings at times. I, I did enjoy it. Probably not as much as, as some of the other TV movies that I was watching this week, though. Okay, great. Um, Nate, what did you think of Another Day? I can definitely see where Eric's coming from because um, I, you know, as I was watching it, I was thinking this is a little slower paced. And like Eric, I was thinking that there was going to be a lot more mystery around the fire. And when the movie kept going and it was over the halfway mark and I'm like, what is going on about that fire? <laughs> like, I need to know. <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting the way it looks at, you know, relationships because, you know, she, you know, goes back in time um, and, you know, he's, you know, Paul is alive. And, you know, I mean, she, that is somebody she loved. And but she's coming from a time where she was falling in love with someone else as well, you know, and, yeah. and you know, just. That's just the way that life is. She was starting to kind of move on um, with, you know, her friend who was, I can't remember his name, but it's Julian McMahon. Yeah, I played him. He's gorgeous. Oh, my God. Oh, he is. He's so hot. (laughs) Just had to say. But, yeah, I I felt it was interesting, you know, if if you look at it from that layer, because, I mean, it's not like when she goes back in time, she suddenly just doesn't love Paul anymore just because it's been a few years. I also was really upset that people were like vandalizing his tombstone. That's right. That is so wrong. And then when you find out the reality behind the fire, it makes it that much worse to me. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, it is awful. Like it's just a terrible thing. Like altogether, like, and, and I just didn't like the way the woman, you know, was answering her like, well, a lot of people lost their jobs and, you know, my husband is there, but I'm like, your husband's still alive. Like Paul's not. I mean, and he's got a kid, and you're really going and defacing tombstones. I mean, grow up. Really. <laughs> you're pretty passionate about that whole thing. I Very wanted to passionate. go into the movie and defend Shannon because I'm like, I just felt like nobody was defending her. And I mean, she could, she can defend herself. I mean, I'm not saying that she couldn't defend herself. She could. But I just, 
I was just like, I was so like shocked at just the way that they act towards her. Almost like it's her fault too. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, and we'll talk about how what everything gets revealed at the end about that relationship between the woman and the guy who's yes. in the wheelchair. That's a really crazy thing. But um, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you have, do oh you no, no, anything? no! I was just saying, like, yeah, I, um, I really love the idea behind the movie. I love time travel type movies. Um, you know, I love Peggy Sue Got Married. I love Back to the Future. You know, I just I love movies where people like can travel. Uh, back in time, I think that um, one thing for me and is that I feel like I watched this expecting a different movie. Right. But I didn't. I wasn't disappointed in what I got. I was like, well, this is actually a you know a good love story. I mean, all the actors are excellent. Um, it is. But I think people when they go into it should know that it's it's definitely much more of um, you know kind of a just a, a love story with a bit of a character study for me because. There's a lot of complex characters in the movie. Yeah. And they have a lot of different layers. So, I mean, I, I did enjoy the movie. Um, but like Eric said, it, it's definitely one that's like um, a slower paced film. And I don't want to deter anybody from seeing it. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's it's not boring. But you just need to be aware that um, when you're watching it, it's just, you know, it's it's um, unravels in a slower way. Because to me, it's much more about the characters than the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was my thoughts. <laughs> Dan, what'd you think of another day? Eric and Nate uh, covered uh, the majority of my <laughs> thoughts on it. I, 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 um, I, I will say that I, I don't know if I found it slow. I, I like the pacing of it. Mm-hmm. Once, once you get into it, I like the pacing of it. I love the look of it. I think everyone's very good. And I think um, I thought of it more as possibly a little too low key. Mm, um, sure. cause there were certain moments in it where, um, like for example, er- Eric mentioned the moment when she sees herself, um, approach the factory when she's inside the factory and it's burning to me, that was a little too, I, I, I saw that for a moment. I thought, Oh, what's happening? Oh, it's her. And I, I thought that I, I should have been more like, Whoa, about that moment. But it's there, there's sort of a, um, kind of, kind of calm serenity to much. I mean, apart from when the factories exploding around them um there's sort of a calm serenity to a lot of the kind of big revelations and time travel moments and things which is a little too it's it's it, it's sort of low-key to the point where the f- second time i watched it several things happened where i was like wait a minute now i sat there watching it the first time very intently how did i miss that happening and and so it, it, it there were just things kind of floated by me although yeah. there is there is one moment that there is one moment that is answered right at the end involving the person who started the fire and um, Kate Shannon Doherty's character reaction to him, um, which I really liked because that was a time paradox thing where I was like, wait a minute, when I got to the end of the movie and then I watched it again, I thought, wait a minute, shouldn't he be reacting to her when his wife is like, you know, yelling at Kate? Shouldn't he be reacting to Kate differently because of what's gone on? But of course, at that point, Kate, future Kate, had been through the experience that this guy in the past would see, not realizing that that was her from the future, not the past Kate that he's looking at right there. I don't think that sentence made any sense, but if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking (laughs) about. I understand. So, yeah, I I think it's definitely worth worth viewing. It is like, I, I was actually surprised that this wasn't said at Christmas. The whole time I was watching it, I thought, shouldn't this be like a Christmas movie? 
Now, granted, <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to jump in the river because it might have been frozen. But yeah. um, well, they could have said it in, in Los Angeles. Would you say you're I, I said they could, like, they could they could have set oh, it in Los Angeles and then they could set it at Christmas because you can swim all year round there, can't you? Well, we'll yes. let's remake it. Yes. Let's remake it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so in the in the um in, in the end, I think I think it's worth a uh, it's worth a viewing. I now what I thought now I I I asked my my wife this, but she um she was unsure. I am wondering, is there like a genre of possibly like um romance novel or romance movie that involves sort of because I, I, the time travel this reminded me of Somewhere in Time with Christopher sure. Reeve. Yeah, I thought of that too. Um, where he, he, wills, he wills himself back in time and, and that's yeah. not quite what she does here because I don't think she's drowning and she thinks boy, you know what? I'm about to drown. This is lovely, but I wish I could wash up on shore and be back in time about four years. I don't think she was thinking that. It has sort of more of a where the time travel come. Now, it's intimated that it might have something to do with the river, um, but I'm, I'm wondering if there is a and like I said, I don't know if there is a genre, sort of like a soft time travel where, there, you know, there are paradoxes, but it's not its not like Marty McFly having to go well, back into the Enchantment of the Sea dance and stop something from happening to himself. Well, here's what I'm going to say, uh, is I actually am going to argue right at this moment, and it, so, so we're going to just dive into some of the twists, is that it's not actually a time travel movie. It is Jacob's Ladder, if Jacob's Ladder was a drama about a woman who lost her husband. So that I'm kind of spoiling Jacob's ladder here by doing that. So what I think happened is the two days she was driving were not real, right? So what what was real was the two days that we see happening afterwards. So when she goes into the river, it's her recovering her memory of what led up to the fire. And that's why she sees herself coming up to the car because she's created this alternate universe for herself to reconcile with the fact that her husband or her boyfriend died looking for her at the factory. That's what I think. So I think the time travel is actually a metaphor for the trauma that she endured losing this man that she loved and everything that happened, you know, coming up from the river and stuff is her sort of the memory coming back to her. I think I got that right. It is a time travel movie on its surface and they're using time travel as sort of the device but it's the device to get her to recover memories that are the real memories and not the fake memories. Does that make sense? Yes, I think I follow you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, so, and there, there is the moment too with the um, D- David and the uh, the, um, and forgive me if you just mentioned this, but my dog needed to go out and I had to run away okay. for a second. <laughs> but the moment where David mentions to her something like, um, "Well, you remember that day, you know, yes. um, Paul went missing or whatever. We went to the Portage Road, the Grove or whatever, and the necklace." Exactly. And there's an I don't remember you doing that with me. You know what kills me though? I never forgot what you said to me that day we went out to Portage Grove. Where? Portage Grove, remember? We were looking for Paul the day he died. No, I was on the road driving all day. What are you talking about? You were with me. No, I wasn't. Yes. 
Must have been somebody else who gave me this. How did you get that? You gave it to me, remember? I asked you what it was. No, that's impossible, all right, because it's one of a kind. And I made it with Megan in craft class last week. Yeah, so so that is either her blocking out that memory because that day was so terrible, or she's a time traveler and she just hadn't done that yet. One of the two. Mm. Yeah, that's but I, I kind of feel like I feel like the movie is about learning to let go. It's it's about having your heart split in two different directions and about so for years after her baby was born, she was just living as a single woman, raising her kid with her friends, you know, and they were just friends. And he kind of lingered around hoping that she would somehow grieve enough that she could move forward, which she just was refusing to do, probably because she had this guilt sort of buried inside her about his death. Right. So I forgot where I was going with this. So so you're right. Everything that had everything that he said that he had happened with the necklace and stuff was was the reality and her just being gone for two days was the fantasy to get her to escape. And I know I've gone off topic. I can't even remember where I started. I do that all the time. I see a shiny object and then I forget what I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, but the point is, yeah. So, the rats are wrestling. Yeah, yeah so with the, what's happening is there's two different... So she talks about how the river tells two different stories. Do you remember that at the beginning? There yeah. are two stories to be told in this river. Hmm. And I think that's it. That's the story of the how am I going to go on knowing that this thing happened and I feel responsible for it. And how can I move forward without my husband? Right. So these are the two tales that she's telling to herself. And so by the time it gets to the end, it's this incredibly moving scene. When I, when for me, when she sees herself outside the factory pulling up in the car, because she's now creating the fantasy that's going to help her escape. Cause he had just died. Right. And she was, that whole scene is very, just recalling it now is upsetting me because she's so upset and she wants so badly for him to just hang on to get out of the building. And he's like, I just, I love you. That's, I just want to say that before, cause I'm going and that's it. And it's, I'm going to cry. It's so moving to me. I just was really, really taken with this film. Well, it would, what you're saying there about, I, th- I think we should all agree. Mm. <laughs> no, it's okay if you don't. <laughs> No, I, 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 I said it, I said at the start that I thought it had a dreamlike quality, which would uh, tie in nicely to your explanation there. Um, if, uh, if yeah, if I mean, portions that's kind of are, how I yeah. felt watching mm. it. Yeah, yeah, like it was just sort of like, and so I don't know how well we all remember Jacob's Ladder, and so if people are listening and don't want to mm. know how Jacob's Ladder ends, but that's all about him dealing with the fact that his son had died. So like he's in Vietnam, and there's like friendly fire, right? And he's actually dying. And so what we're seeing is the process of him coming to terms with things that he needs to come to terms with so he can go to the other side. We well, see a lot of horror films and, do that. Um, well, not a lot, yeah. of, but there are a number of horror films that have that where um, it explains away the the preceding 89 minutes as being the, you know, the final moments of somebody dying. Yeah, and I think Jacob Flatter does it in a way that really worked for me when I saw I haven't seen Jacob Flatter in like 20 years, but at the time... You know, it blew my mind when I saw it. And and so this movie doesn't have the same impact of that because in Jacob's Ladder, it's the last, literally the last 30 seconds of the film, you find out he's dead. And you're like, oh my God, okay, this all makes sense, right? So, and it just hits you. Here, it's it's not quite at the end, but I think that, that they're telling you something in that scene with the two Shannons, which by the way, if there were two Shannons, life would be so much better. Let's put it out there. <laughs> but like... So, so like, but when she sees herself, I think that's the key to what's happening. And then it leads to, so like Dan was saying, it makes sense earlier when she runs into the guy that had been crippled in the fire and his really bitchy wife, that 
she really didn't know what had happened and that he was involved with starting the fire. So it turns out the guy in the wheelchair had accidentally set the fire because he'd been drinking because his wife, which was ridiculous because so like this, this is the part of the story that kind of loses a little bit because like, so, so she's going to work the, the this woman with the guy who ends up being the person who started the fire and he's dropping her off at work. And she says, you know, I won't come home to, I'm not coming home tonight. I'm going over to my sister. She has no clothing with her. She's in her freaking waitress outfit. And she's like, I'm leaving you, but I'm not taking a single thing with me, including clothes. So, okay, bye. So he goes to the factory and he gets drunk and he accidentally sets this fire. Right. But that scene was really strange. And then, so the reason why I think the wife was so angry was because she felt obligated to stay with the husband afterwards because he'd been so injured. And so I don't, I think she's the one desecrating the grave and stuff because I think she's just so upset that she had to stay in that marriage that it just drew so much ire from her. And so, and she gave it to Shannon all the time because she felt like Paul had set the fire when this whole time had been her husband just sitting there quietly. So in that scene before Shannon realizes what had happened in the real world, the wife is confronting Shannon and the husband just says, let's go, honey, let's just go. And it's because he he thinks that they're carrying a secret together, right? That he had set the fire. And he doesn't realize that she has no memory of it. And so it has an impact in retrospect, but not in the moment that it's happening. Is that what you were meaning, Dan? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous how when he saw the the spill at the factory and he decided to prop his uh, oh, cigarette yeah. lit cigarette up right near yeah. the gasoline yeah. i mean uh, i mean i know you were drinking dude but come on also there's only there's only like two three four six people in the movie right or three three yeah. four five people in the movie plus the little girl so really who could have set the fire yeah true the, two people mm-hmm. right and so like so like there's no they loses that mystery of it but it needs to be told i guess so we can get to the trauma that led to the memory loss right or the t- or the thing that instigated her time travel so but it, i think it's the weakest part of the story so i think it's interesting that's that so many of us were expecting it to become a big mystery about the fire when it felt so obvious to me what had happened in the fire it was more about what i originally thought when she came back and he was, when she came out of the river and her husband was standing over her was that she was going to have to choose between her daughter who was still missing or her husband. Mm. And that was what the movie was going to be about. Sophie's but it choice. ended up not being yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That she had to pick one. Of course she's going to pick her kid. Right. But like, um, but that wasn't what it came to be at all. It came to be about her figure, learning that she had to move forward. If she was going to get on with her life was really what the message was. I think anyway, is there anything else? I don't know if because I kind of we kind of just skipped right to the twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, do we want to talk about any bits of the story? Well, you're saying that the the time travel bit might have been um just uh, all in her mind, blah blah blah. But do you not think that maybe the river was flowing so strong that it was dragging her at 88 miles per hour, and that's how she went back in time? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. You know what? The Never thought about that. Yeah, the science really works. It was moving at the speed of sound backwards. <laughs> yes. And it, yeah, and that's how, wow. That's You know, it's interesting because technically they all should have all been just murdered in that river because they went, didn't somebody oh go over God. a waterfall? Yeah. Like, it was intense. <laughs> I'm and, in yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and also, like, when she comes to the second time, her daughter's still missing, you know? And mm. it's like, it, it comes to, I mean, they wrap it up, but like, 
it's like she's laying on the beach and now everything's different and her daughter's somewhere in the river as far as they know and Julia McMahon is somewhere in the river with her and it's like it's like must be terrifying but they didn't capitalize on that at the the second time she wakes up in the river you know and but I love like the buildup of her friendship to romance with um David I thought that was really well done because at the beginning I thought it was so interesting that her husband dies and then she goes back to her house and this really gorgeous hunk is hanging out at her house and he's like can I make you coffee or whatever and you're like who's what's going on and so like and then you find out oh he's my best friend and you're like really because <laughs> really <laughs> Yep, yep. But there's all the sweetness there about it. You know what I mean? Like the sort of organic build up to their feel. Like he'd been feeling it before. But like but the way they approach the relationship, it, it feels really natural and um and really good. Like it's coming from a really good place. And it and it's very romantic to me. You know, like when she's in the car, they go to that place where she thought her husband was, where she had given him the necklace but had forgotten. And then they're driving back and she's just staring at him in the car. And there's just like this 30 second scene of her looking at him while he's driving. And she's thinking about everything and she's processing the information. And then and, and she says that part where she's like, I think I'm supposed to give you this necklace. And it's just really interesting. I just love the way she's kind of realizing this is the guy. He's been here the whole time and I've been too blind to see it. And now it's coming to light. But then she gets out of the car and she says, you know, somebody asks you, can you be in love with two people? I would say the answer is yes. And then she lets him go, right, to wherever. And then she goes into the factory. And it's really interesting because it took it took all of this for her to realize what was right in front of her the whole time. And I just thought it was really sweet. Yeah, and, and what I liked is that Paul, like, they could have in some way, like, done something where it seemed like him and Shannon shouldn't be together. They could have even made his character a jerk. So it pushed, you know, the new romance and made audience want to root for that. But they actually, I thought it was cool that, like, Paul was actually a really nice guy. Like he was a good guy. He wasn't in, mm-hmm. even in one scene when David's talking about him, David in frustration says, and you know what? I even liked the guy. Why are you doing this? Why didn't you tell me? When we were kids, I always just figured that someday it'd be you and me, you know? I always thought that, I don't know, one day you'd see me and it'd just be right. <laughs> Instead along comes Paul who blows into your world, sweeps you off your feet, and what can I say the rest is history, right? You wanna know the strangest thing about all this? that I like the guy. I really do. The fact is, I'm really happy for him. Like, you know, he he likes Paul because he's a good person, but it's hard when he's got feelings for Paul's... um, um, was were they married or just dating? No, they were just dating. Okay. I, I, it's making me think of that song Jesse's Girl. All of a sudden, are we all thinking <laughs> Jesse's Girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sure if I out talked everybody, but is there I, anything we want to add, Dan? I, I like your idea of uh, of um, there not being time travel, but I also like the idea of time travel sure. because it does kind of seem inappropriate to a film like this because it doesn't seem like a time travel film, even when it's talking about time. So I like the 
the thought that they throw it in there. And I, I also like the, um, I think she's, you know, she talked the river at the beginning. And I think she says she like grew up near the river or that's been part of her life. And I like the fact that maybe the river knows like one of the mm. biggest tragedies and the biggest sort of rifts in, in uh, bits of, bits of pain, but, but tears in her life is when she lost Paul. And when she falls into the water, the river is able to carry her back in time and give her a chance to do something. I actually realized I didn't think it was going to be about the mystery of the fire. I thought it was going to be one of those sort of things where she just was doing everything she could to stop Paul from getting and and ending up in the factory. More or less, kind of, sort of. She does that for a bit, but I thought I I didn't think it was going to get like wacky or anything like that. But I thought it was going to be some something where she just kept trying to stay away from the factory, stay away from the, and then somehow it just wound up there in the end, which is kind of what happens. But I thought it would be more manic is the word but i thought yeah. there'd be more to that but i did too i did too yeah i thought it was interesting because she just so the day that leads up to the fire she just wakes up and he's not there and he's just gone on his boat to to think about things right because she had told him all these stories that sounded crazy to him about how she had come back from the future and all the stuff had happened and that he was going to die in a fire and that she needed him to leave with her and he didn't want to go. And so they spent the night there. And so, he, of course, he had to think about, like, oh, my God, my girlfriend's insane is probably what he's thinking on the boat. And he's he just needs some time to himself. And so she leaves the house to look for him. And then so then they end up being separated. They can never kind of get back together until they meet up again in the factory because you know, just these simple things happened in their life that's, that led to those moments, right? And so, and, and she talks about that at the end about destiny, right? Like, you can't change the past, but you can change your future. And so, no matter what she had done, he was going to end up in that factory anyway. That was just the way it was meant to be, as horrible as that is for Paul. There was no way to change the outcome of that. And so, she had to come to realize that, you know? Um, and so, I also think, I mean, I also think, um, well, it, as a repressed memory, it was important for her to to vindicate Paul in the fire. And so let's talk about that scene where she goes to see the guy who lit the fire, because I thought that was really interesting, because she walks up to the door and she says, I know what happened. And he said, why didn't you ever say anything? And she doesn't respond. She's, well, I was in the future, whatever, I didn't remember. And he says, she says, I'd like to make it right for Paul, which is correct and then he said i want to be the one to tell your daughter and i'm like well that's a conversation that's going to be really interesting but also is there going to be a legal ramification like they drop that so so like she resolves it but then for me it was still left hanging because i couldn't figure out like does that mean that he's going to have to go to prison now after everything because i feel like the guilt inside him was so intense that it was almost like he paid for the crime in a way, not the, I mean, somebody died. I don't want to say he paid for the crime, but he was paying for it every day, just living inside that body. Right. I mean, did you guys have any feelings about that scene? No, I felt <laughs> that I would have had more. I was actually waiting to see if they were going to say something, so <laughs> but I, I, was, that was, I was, doing it. <laughs> I was actually, I don't know. I was, I found her reaction interesting because Part of me would want to be like, I don't know, jumping in, yelling at him like you knew this whole time and all this stuff. But I mean, she just she's very calm in discussing it with him, like the whole uh, scenario. And I guess I didn't really expect that, but it was a nice, you know, change of pace from what I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah. 
Anybody else? Uh, the the movie has several moments with really really long pauses mm-hmm. in them, yeah. and uh, yeah, this this is this this is one of those. I think there's um I, I forget she, she she has a couple of them where um well there there's a moment where she kind of insults David like you say you're a painter but uh, all you're doing is painting houses, and um which was a weird moment because he says to her something like well you've always said you wanted to be a doctor and now you're going to be an accountant. And she says, well, you say that you're a painter, but you're painting houses. But I thought, but there's a difference between, like, you know, I can get off this podcast and paint my back, you know, paint a, um, some uh, an actual painting of, like, flowers in my backyard. That might make me an artist. But if I were to leave here or drive to Nate's house and remove his gallbladder without any medical training, that wouldn't make me a doctor. So it's a bit of a weird sort of juxtaposition <laughs> that she uses there. But there are a lot of long pauses in the movie, and that scene has a couple of nice ones, because you can, you can tell that, yeah, obviously, like you said, she's thinking, well, that was past me, and this is, you're talking the future, you know, you know, and, and, um, and she, she's trying not to give away the fact that she might have traveled in time. But, but it, is, it, is, it is sort of a, it, it is a lovely moment, and I thought, just like you did, so that guy's going to tell the daughter... What happened? <laughs> okay, well, as long as as long as as long as Gabby isn't there, I think we'll be all right. And Gabby, they named the the woman who complains about who complains mm-hmm. and yells at Kate all the time. Gabby, get out of here! Uh, but, but that, <laughs> yeah, that was my thought on it. She was great. I liked that character a lot because she was horrible and like she just the way she tells her husband, you know, I'm not coming home tonight. What? Mm-hmm. I'm just not, and I'm yeah. in my weight yourself, and I'd rather just have nothing than be with you. And see you tomorrow, or see you whenever, you know, when I file divorce papers. And it's like, wow, she's intense. Um, and I can only imagine what it was like when she felt like she had to come back to the marriage because of his injuries. You know, that must have been hell for both of them, I think, yeah. on yeah. some level. I thought that scene um, was um, was interesting because he seems to have... I almost got the impression that he's been sitting in that um, patio or whatever it is he's on, waiting for her to come to him with the news that she knows. He seems sort of matter of fact about it as if he's been yes. expecting her all yeah. along, which I thought was quite, I'm not sure why I thought it was quite powerful, but I did find it quite powerful. Yeah, it was, it's just interesting. There's just, this is just a little movie that has, it's just doing interesting things in really subtle under the radar ways. And it's, it's just unlike most films. I can, I can't think of another film really to compare it to. It's just this, it's own little thing and that it, it was so gripping and so emotionally impactful it's just but but also it's a kind of a film that's really soft and just kind of goes along and it's like you said it's a little dreamy but then there's just so much going on underneath it you know what i mean that's sort of not volcanic but but powerful you know so it was just a really interesting film and i'm sad that i waited so long to see it you know because i've had my copy for 12 years now Mm. 12 wow and if um if uk ireland viewers are interested it's on amazon prime to stream i've discovered Mm-hmm. It is here too, but you have to have an IMDb subscription. Oh, but it's okay. free with ads, so people can. Well, I didn't realize that until you said it, so I went and looked it up, and I saw it was streaming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if people want to see it. I recommend it. Um, if for nothing else, the score and the cinematography are stunning, and I was really taken with just the aesthetics of the film on top of everything else. Um, particularly the score. I thought the score was really quiet and beautiful. Um, yeah, so there's. I feel like there's a lot to recommend it. Um, what about you guys, Dan? The score or the movie? Oh no, no, just the movie or the score. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh no, I, I'd I'd say it's worth viewing. When when I I actually knew nothing about it 
and I didn't read anything about it when I started watching it. So I didn't know where it was going to go. So when it became like a time travel movie, I, I, it was like, it was, whoa, hey, what's going on here? So, you know, I like I said, I, I think it's a little lo- too low-key for its own good at times, but it's definitely worth um, view. I, 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 I did like it a bit more than Satan's School for Girls, which, like I said, I found a bit bland. Ah, oh, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> again, again. I'm, I'm done with you. Um, Nate, would you recommend it? I would. Um, I think that it's it's definitely worth a watch. Um, and like I said, uh, for me, it's it is a slow paced movie for me, so it's probably not one that I would rewatch, you know, regularly. But I do think that if anybody hasn't seen it, I think you'll find it interesting. Definitely, um, Eric. Yeah, I would agree um, with um, Nathan. Probably in terms of its rewatchability, probably a bit too. Um, and Dan said this as well. Low key is probably the word. I was kind of just kind of surprised and taken aback at its uh, approach because uh, the other six Shannon Doherty movies I watched were, I wouldn't say high octane, but they were. They, is trashier a word I'm allowed to use? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean they're kind of more. They're more along the lines of an episode of 90210, let's say, whereas Another Day was it was sophisticated, which I wasn't expecting. Um, and I really I did enjoy it, and I do recommend people watch it. Yeah. There might be a reason why it feels sophisticated. So this was uh, one of the producers on this was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's company, Zootrope Studios. Did I say that right? Is it Zoetrope or Zootrope? I don't Zoetrope, know. Zootrope, I think, yeah. I Zoetrope. Zoetrope. Yeah, they were one of the producers of Another Day. And so that might be why it looks so good and has kind of the feel that it has and, and maybe why that choice of script it's mature right so um and it came out of a company that does more kind of i think dramatically i i think um sort of uh drama driven programming so or films um so let me just tell you just a little bit about there wasn't much in the production although there was a little bit about what happened after production so this movie had kind of a tumultuous history in terms of its release so it aired on the usa network as we said it's interesting that dan said christmas because it ended up airing december 4th of 2001 but that was not the original air date they had scheduled um it was supposed to air uh, october 2nd but it got pushed back and i think it got pushed back for a couple of different reasons um one critic or i guess i should say journalist because it wasn't really released to the critics before it aired um is that it, it was supposed to air right after 9-11, and I think people thought having a fire like that might be too much for viewers and that they just didn't want to do that until some time had passed. So they pushed it back for that. But also right before um, the movie was to come out, Shannon Doherty had been arrested for drunk driving, and she had also left charmed under sort of not great circumstances. And so there was a lot of rumors floating around, and there was a lot of gossip, and there was a lot of stuff. And so she did this press junket, that ended up being this really unfortunate event for her because she got there expecting to talk about this movie, her first producing venture, right? This great film which she's wonderful in. And everybody was like, tell us about your drunk driving arrest. And can you talk about Charmed? And she got really upset. And um, she uh, got kind of standoffish with the critics and so, or the journalists. And so what happened was, well, uh, the only thing they got written about in all of the articles that came across the country based on my research was that she was being really a brat and not talk, didn't want to talk about the movie. But the point is she came to talk about the movie, but they wanted to talk about other things. And she got really mad. And so somebody had said to her, well, you know, they haven't screened this movie for us yet, so we, we don't know what to ask you. And she's like, well, then I guess it's going to be a short session, isn't it? 
And then they're like, well, tell us about leaving Charmed. And she's like, you know, I don't want to talk about that. So it became a big thing. And that's what the newspapers reported on. So, so, the, so part of the reason why they think it got pushed back was because I think in that moment, Shannon was getting a lot of negative publicity. And I think they thought if they had a little pillow there, um, they could they could release it at a later date. And it turns out that the USA Network had scheduled five films to come out between October and December of 2001. And this was their highest budgeted film. They had put the most effort into this title. I think they were being more sensitive about it. Uh, I don't know what the ratings were. I could not find the ratings, but I will tell you the five movies they had scheduled was another day, something called Wolf Girl, which featured Victoria Sanchez, who was in Saint School for Girls. Um, there was a movie called Jane Doe, the Mists of Avalon, which I think was a miniseries, and something called Call Me Claus, which is a Christmas movie. So those all ran within that two-month um, window. So it, I'll tell you what it ran against. So on ABC was Dharma and Greg, um, Spin City, and NYPD Blue. On NBC, Frasier, Scrubs, and Dateline NBC. On CBS was a movie Jack and the Beanstalk, but I don't think it was a TV movie. I think it was a theatrical of some sort or some kind of animated special. I'm not sure. And then on Fox was the 2001 Billboard Music Awards. So as I said earlier, uh, Shannon did say that the script uh, was sort of profound. Oh, this is a quote of her. So quote, the script was sort of profound in, in the way that it dealt with destiny and fate, things I was going through at the time. So she was really drawn to the story because she felt like it was sort of um, speaking to her and, and where she was in that moment of time in her life. So as we had talked about with Saints School for Girls, that was a real late entry TV movie for the networks and a real anomaly um, because most of the made for TV production had moved over to the basic cable channels, as I'd mentioned earlier. And so the major players at the time were Lifetime, TNT, USA, and they were putting a lot of money into their films. That started in the 90s. I think the first Lifetime original was 1990. And and then cable, paid cable was also kicking in some stuff at this point too. So, so the networks had really driven off it. But the USA Network had produced something between like 1990 and the early 2000s, over 200 TV movies. And I've seen a, like not half of them, but I'd say a third at least of what they produced. And all of it is excellent quality. So you can't do wrong with an, with a USA Network original from that time era. Um, this is just a really good example of that. Um, and if we don't want to add anything else, we'll just go straight into the feedback. And now it's time for feedback. Tell you, we only got a little bit of feedback here. Um, on Instagram, oh hi Haley said, always loved friends till the end growing up. Um, our good friend Damo that we used to do a podcast with called Podcast Mania, he's a huge Shannon Doherty fan, yet he told me he had Demo. never yes. yeah, he never heard of Saint School for Girls. So I was like, Damo. <laughs> um so he needs to check it out on Come Facebook. Come on, Damo. Yeah, I know, I know. He's let us down. I, I think he's actually met Shannon Doherty, um, and he said she was really amazing. Um, our friend Jeremy on Facebook said, The rendering was good, and the recent remake of No One Would Tell, where she played the mother uh, of the abused girl. He liked that as well. Our friend Amy Ellen said, Obsessed. I just made my husband watch it again with me. That one has definitely rewatchability. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen Obsessed. Um, it's just one of those movies. She's off the charts in it. There's Brilliant. this really great scene yeah. in obsessed where um he's got this sort of maybe new girlfriend and they're at the tennis club so there's this tennis club that's like a major scene in uh, throughout the film and she walks in she's some she's joined the club or whatever and she and she leans in and she starts talking about the anita baker concert do you remember this eric yes <laughs> she, <laughs> she leans in she's like well we have tickets to the anita baker concert and like it's some like like diss or something that she's going to need a baker and this woman isn't 
you know? <laughs> yeah. And then later on, and then later on, she's like, oh, and then, you know, maybe later we can switch notes about making love to him or something like that. And it's like this total, <laughs> like, whatever. She's just amazing in it. She's brilliant. But um, anyway, yeah, it's a great one. It's just Amanda for a minute. Um, You know what? I got a piece of feedback after we recorded, and I just wanted to add it because I thought it was really sweet. Um, and hopefully I won't mess up anybody's name. This is actually from Greece. And um, our feedbackers wrote, This is Mike and Thalia from Greece. We want to send to Shannon much love. We went to school when 90210 started, and we totally fell in love with her and her TV character. She always seemed so fearless and authentic. 90210 was a mess after she left. It was just everyone sleeping with one another. No plot. Charmed as well as Scare Tactics were also very big hits in Greece. She's a terrific actress. We want to see many, many more projects by her in the future. We want to see series, movies, TV shows, anything. Take care, Mike and Thalia. Thank you so much for dropping us a line. I'm sorry I'm just getting into it now, but we're adding it in, and thank you so much. Um, and then we have one more piece of feedback. This is from our friend Stan Peel. Hey, thank you guys for doing this. I love Shannon Doherty, but I am woefully undereducated on her TV movies. So I just saw Obsessed. Amanda, thank you for the recommendation. I was definitely not disappointed. I spent the first half thinking, this is terrific. The crazy ex-girlfriend plot is always a winner, and Shannon was perfect. She had the right balance of super sweet demeanor and crazy fuming rage coming out of nowhere. As she started really terrorizing this guy, I thought, you know, this guy doesn't deserve this. But really, many, many guys do. Especially rich guys who have already disposed of two wives and are just looking for a good time. You know these guys. They do whatever it takes to make you fall for them. But when you start talking about actual feelings or the C word, commitment, then suddenly they change. They start pulling away accusing you of overreacting. They tell their buddies, this chick is crazy, she's clingy. It's infuriating. So, I thought, what if I watched the movie from that perspective? Like, this is some Twilight Zone Rashomon thing where, that we're seeing the reality that the gaslighter is creating, but it's not real. She's the normal one. She's being gaslighted and lied to. And everything she says is right. Now, I'm sure that's not what the writer and director intended, but it was a lot of fun, and it really made the destruction of that boat very satisfying. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, after the boat was destroyed, there was a cop, an investigator. He has a distinctive kind of scratchy voice. I recognized him, but he's not listed in the credits, not in IMDb or anywhere I could find. So I'd love to, I'd love to know if you guys know who he is. Uh, I'm nearly positive I've seen him on Wonder Woman or MASH or someplace, but I can't place him. Anyway, I like that guy. So, Obsessed was terrific, and I really need to check out more of Shannon Doherty's TV movies, the ones she's already made, and hopefully ones she's going to make in the future. I hope she works through this. I'm sending her good vibes and lots of love, and thank you all once again for what you do. Update. I just watched Satan's School for Girls, both versions. I'm supposed to be this big Kate Jackson fan. How have I not seen this? Well, for the podcast, I just saw both versions. And damn, the first one was good, but the 2000 version was a definite improvement. First of all, Kate Jackson obviously got better with age, but Shannon really set this film miles ahead. She is such a more powerful and formidable leading lady. No offense, Pamela Franklin. The whole vibe of this movie reminded me of 
old Charmed and Buffy episodes, which is about the right time, but also in similar fashion, Shannon busted out the magic, escalating quickly from psychic card readings to just blowing people up. What an awesome ending! The special effects didn't all age very well, but Shannon's performance is absolutely solid. What a fun movie, and what a treasure she is. She was almost too good, because the epilogue with that creepy bird? Please, don't even look at Shannon with your stupid glowing eyes. She will blow you up into a side of crispy wings. So good. Yay, Shannon! Wow, what a voice. He sounds like Harry Shearer. I thought he sounded like Dan. (laughs) He sounds like Dan as well. Dan sounds like Harry Shearer. That's an incredible radio voice that guy has. Amanda? Thank you, you Stan or Dan. uh, Is Amanda there? Amanda's probably the rats. I think the rats got loose. So, um, uh, yeah, Stan's a good guy. I'm not sure where Amanda went. I hope she's okay. I was on on mute. Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I had it on mute because the rats were rustling and I was trying to, (laughs) so we could hear Stan's. So just a couple things I want to say about Stan's. talking about obsessed because i know uh nate and dan haven't seen it but actually the way he's watching the movie is really interesting because uh eric might remember that william devane's daughter in the movie is telling william devane that he's leading her on and so that there is some culpability on his part Mm. for her uh stuff like her her madness and and they don't play it up enough but I, I think that that's right, that that's in, there's some intention there that we're supposed to understand that he's just not some victim to this crazy person, that she's got problems, but that, that he's, he's doing all these things where he's telling her he really cares about her. And then he's like, yeah, so I just told her I cared about her. So what? Like he says to his own daughter. And she's like, um, Dad, that's really not the right thing to do. Do you remember that, Eric? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it, yeah, it doesn't paint, paint him as being completely innocent, although Shannon is so good at playing psycho that it's hard not to side with him, I suppose. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, she goes too far for sure. But like, so what's really funny is currently on Twitter, just from obsessed, like I'm taking pictures of where she looks like really upset and then I'm writing current mood and I'm just using the image. (laughs) And and I've only used two so far, but I've scanned the movie and I think that I have like at least seven or eight more images that I can use to like express how I'm feeling during the pandemic. So it's a movie that speaks to so much is what I'm saying. It's a... It's. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I, not not just good. I thought it was brilliant. I urge everyone to watch Obsessed. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah, it's great fun. Um, it's for the second film, Saints Call for Girls. I think he he felt the exact opposite way that Dan did about. So the Stan and Dan show is off, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys might sound good oh, together. Yeah, no. we would be arguing too much. Um, because I think he was saying things. Um, about the finale and things like that that you were disagreeing with so he saw it a little differently than you did and that was great so we got another opinion he also went into things a little better than we did you know the feedbackers always do that there's we have a friend named adam who sends us a lot of feedback and he'll like in two sentences like do the whole film like and get all the and get all the subtext Mm -hmm. and it'll be done and we'll be like wow why don't we just put his two sentence thing up and then be done with it but um 
but some of the stuff that Stan talked about, we didn't really talk about her ability to deal with magic, you know, and uh, we talked about her psychic abilities, but we didn't go into depth about how it kind of builds because there's that really great where it's, she's like working on a chemistry set or something and that little flame goes up and then it gets really big. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you can see like she's harnessing her power or whatever. We kind of didn't talk about how she was building her strength. But anyway, thank you, Stan. That was really great feedback. And um, I'm glad that everybody enjoyed these and that we're all at least on the same page that Shannon Doherty is making really good TV movies that everybody should be checking out. And one thing that also Stan mentioned that I don't know why I didn't mention at the beginning, but as we all know, she's really really fighting a heavy duty cancer battle right now and that's part of what prompted me to do this episode even though I feel really bad because a couple years ago I wanted to do one and I just kept putting it off and I'm I don't think somebody should get sick for us to throw our arms around them and tell them that we love them but Shannon is somebody I've just loved my entire life as far as I can remember you know at least my life starting with 90210 right and um and she's always been really important to me and um and I hope that she get bounces back, obviously, for even if she never does another movie again. But if she does, I really hope that she goes back to making these TV movies because I think she's really savvy about um, the, her choices in the films that she's going to make and that she's not going to make a bad film. And she's pretty reliable and she's also an incredible actress. And I don't know if anybody wants to add anything to that. I no, think just, you've summed it up. Yeah. Or, <laughs> it, what what's is the home for TV movies sort of Netflix now, Amanda, or do they still get made for U.S. networks over there? The, there's some stuff being made for Lifetime that's pretty low rent. It's, some of it's really fun. Eric Roberts did one. I can't even remember the name of it now, but it's pretty good. Um, but I find that Amazon Prime is the home for finding the older TV movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. Uh, not so much Netflix. Netflix used to have a really great library, but then they kind of started switching up their stuff. And then when they moved to more original programming, they dropped a lot of their really cool stuff. Mm. So, but on Amazon, you have to dig pretty deep for it. So I try to do these things where I have this, uh, it's mostly on Twitter and on my Facebook page where I say, you know, must see streaming movie, a TV movie of the week. And I'll put up a link to something that's on Amazon Tubi. It turns out is this new sort of Roku channel and they have lots of TV movies. And so I have a whole page of, movies that I'm starting to recommend from there too. So that would be my other go-to if you're looking for these old school movies, especially from the nineties and some stuff that goes back farther. And if you want to find out about that, then you should just check out our social media. So let me tell you where you can find us. We're on Facebook at the made for TV mayhem show on Twitter. We're at TV mayhem podcast. We have an Instagram now it's made for TV mayhem. And we also have a email, which I always forget. It's tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. And so you can write to us about Shannon, about anything we've talked about, about anything you'd like us to talk about. We love all feedback. Um, we love all listeners. Um, it's been great. Uh, we didn't get, we didn't win the Rondo, obviously, this year. We didn't even make the list. But it, it was really, I mean, list of finalists. But it was great to be nominated. The Staring News was nominated as well. And it always feels so good to be with great people. Um, so so we know some somebody's listening, and, and we really love it. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be going on, but Dan and I have been hosting live tweets um, where we watch a TV movie on Saturday. Yes. And what happened? Yes. Yeah, so you can follow me. I think my... Um, handle on Twitter is just made for TV mayhem. So you can follow me on there. And what I do is I put up a poll. I find three movies on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, I'm sorry, on Amazon. And then I have people vote on them and whichever one comes out first is the one we choose. And then I just kind of like throw out a lot of trivia and Dan watches the movie with us and he says a lot of really funny things. And, um, and he throws in some input and insight as well. And then we have some other people who uh, watch along with us and talk through the movie. And so 
yeah, so if you'd like to do that, just come on to at Made for TV Mayhem and um, follow along. And um, tonight we're do today. This will have this will go out way after this, but today we're uh, watching Madam Sin, which will be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited about that. And we watched a bunch of movies like Police Woman Centerfold, um, um, Terror at London Bridge. Uh, the night they took Miss Beautiful. We've Space done a whole of evil, yeah. base of evil. Yeah, we've done a whole bunch of really great fun, fun films. So please join us. Um, and I think that's it. So thank you, Eric, so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's thank so, you, Nathan. It's, it's so great. <laughs> oh to have yes. Hello, Brenda fan <laughs> on here. It means a lot. Yes. So. Invite me back for the Brian Austin Green special. I will. I promise. <laughs> or Jenny Garth. Well, <laughs> we'll have to do it though with a webcam because we're going to have to do the David Silver dance. Oh, totally. Yeah. We never yeah, did, we never mentioned the Shannon Doherty dance from the famous episode where Scott Scanlon's birthday party is turned sour. Yeah, I love that one because she she gets on her knee. Yeah, there's this whole bit where she gets on one knee and then comes up and then she does this thing with her hands where she's like, yeah, and it's just like totally wow, improv. I'm guessing. Yeah, I want to do that, and it's amazing. It's funny because um, so I watched a lot of interviews with her from 2008, where she was basically begging to go on Dancing with the Stars, and she did. And she only made it through the first episode, which oh, really no. upset me. She's quite good. She's actually a really good dancer. But um, she did the show for her dad. Her dad died a couple years later. He oh. had been suffering um, like a stroke or something horrible. Oh. And if you ever watch that first episode of that season of Dancing with the Stars, it's really lovely because um, oh. her dad is in the audience. But, yeah, she's she's actually a big dancer. So I, I think you're right. I think she improvised that because I haven't ever seen a choreographer ask somebody to get on one knee like they're going to propose and <laughs> yeah, then get back up and then do that little hand thing she did. So, yeah. but whatever, she's got to be Shannon. So yeah. that's her thing. And it's great. And I loved it. So anyway, thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you everyone. Bye. 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 Jesse is a friend. Been a good friend of mine But lately something's changed It ain't hard to define Jesse's got himself a girl And I wanna make her mine And she's watching him with those eyes And she's loving with that body I just know it And 